Blog Talk Radio. everybody southern sports central rolling into your tuesday evening on time at six o'clock that means it's time for an all-new southern sports central i'm rich young alongside the coach eugene benton coming to you live from somerville south carolina here in the factory sports and fitness training studios of course you can find the guys and girls getting after it right now and they're actually in the gym at 5913 loftus road over there in hanahan south carolina give the guys and girls a shout at 843 Five seven three seven three nine one. The red carpet will be rolled out early tonight at six twelve. We're going to hear from one of the coaches from Fort Dorchester, the offensive lineman, the guy with the big nasties in the trenches. Will check in with us at six twelve. Joey Steele will uh, hang out with us, and then at six thirty, we're heading to Charlotte, North Carolina, with the Reginald Walker Jr. will join us, and uh, lots covered with him. Boy, they are really hitting the headlines with uh, about every sport we could imagine going to be talked about with him at 6.30. Then at 7 o'clock, Torrey Tyson. Of course, he is a scout uh, in the major league aspect of life for baseball. So we're going to talk major leagues. We'll talk college. We'll talk Little League World Series. We're going to talk a lot of baseball for 30 minutes starting at 7 o'clock. And then at 8 o'clock, we go back to the offensive line, but this time with a former Gamecock, a former University of South Carolina big man, Jarrell King, will join us at Eight o'clock. Now he's currently in the community here in Charleston and the surrounding areas, running camps, gyms, getting offensive linemen feet better, getting them faster, getting them ready for that game that's coming up. Hopefully, around August, if you will. So that's the guest list that we have, and we've got a few minutes here. So I'll bring in uh, Coach Benton. Coach, uh, you saw the list come out just moments ago, and uh, just putting it all together was uh, as much fun as it's going to be to getting these guys on the air with us tonight. Yeah, what a star uh, action packed and, and star studded lineup, man. Um, and I'm looking forward to it. I was, uh, Joey, Coach Joey Still and I were actually in a uh, forum yesterday talking about some things, and um, it was kind of interesting what what came out. We were talking about uh, how Academic Magnet, which is a countywide charter, um, can admit students from the ninth grade coming in, no matter where they live in the county, uh, and then how that related to the new um, uh, rules handed down by the high school league. But uh, you know that guy. You know, I, I kind of jokingly, but not really jokingly, uh, tweeted out back to him. and was like, you know, come on the show and let's talk about which future NFL lineman you got over there at the fort because, you know, he keeps just turning them out. I don't know if, it, if he's feeding them something special or something in the order over there. Or maybe it's the weight room and his skills teaching them. But, you know, what a great job. Uh, Tori's one of, my, one of my closest friends. Looking forward to that one. You know, spending an hour with Tori, it always seems to fly by. I know 40 minutes of uh, – him leading our men's study group at church seems always fly by on Wednesday. Um, and then Jerriel, what a great guy. You know, he's a story from North Charleston. Went to North Charleston High. I know a lot of people think of big name athletes from North Charleston. They, you know, seem to always go to, to 4D, but he's a North Charleston high school product. Uh, you know, did what he had to do, got to Carolina, uh, had a great career up there in Columbia, and then uh, I'm pretty sure 
I believe last time I called him, he had spent some time with in the CFL. But uh, you know, he's a he's a great guy and he's doing a lot of work giving back to kids in, in the area here. And really looking forward to have him come on. But uh, you know, it's really cloudy. It's been a a weird day, man, for it to be kind of mid-July. I mean, excuse me, mid-June, to 70-something degrees. But uh, had a great start to the morning, training kids from three different high schools, getting those kids ready for uh, their high school season. But, you know, uh, ready to get this thing rolling. We'll kick it off, and I'll turn it back over to you, bud. All right. So, of course, Eugene has the uh, Kicking Academy. Uh, you need to get in with this guy. He has, I tell you what, he doesn't look like he can kick much. But, boy, I tell you what, he can train them as good as anybody. When I tell you this guy has put out athletes around the low country and continues to really not only impress myself, but other coaches around the area, you can reach out to Eugene directly. I'm going to give you a cell number, uh, fellas uh, and ladies out there, 843-489-7756. That's, uh, that's the guy on the other end here, uh, Eugene, who, of course, is the founder and uh, the kicking one coach when it comes down to it. Eugene Benton with, of course, uh, the Kicking Academy and uh, Southern Sports Central 100% uh, supports him and his mission and his vision and anything else that we can do to promote uh, him. We are going to do that right here on Southern Sports Central. Of course, don't forget, next Sunday night, we're off. We're taking off on a Sunday night. It's Father's Day. So you better be getting those cards out to your dads and uh, making sure, ladies, that make them feel special. I know they're babies when you don't. Trust and believe me. Uh, but you make sure they feel uh, that you appreciate their fatherhood. Hopefully, fathers, you're being a father. We're not just naming uh, ourselves a father or wearing the name tag. We're out there being dads in the world. Of course, uh, a lot of you players say hey, maybe there's a coach out there that's like a father figure to you. Go ahead and get him a card. Trust me. It's the little things. You know, I spoke to my children tonight uh, before going on the air. My 19-year-old, I said to this, I said, it doesn't, I don't want the gifts. I just want all four of you at the table with me and that's all i need and of course as we get older uh eugene and you've got a couple of kids in high school uh who one of course will be graduating this time next year well of course i've got a son that graduates next year but uh you know we'll be going through this now eugene has also raised two other young men who are uh ends up being they are five-star kids i mean these guys are young men one graduated this past year uh he actually i believe maybe heading into the military while the other one is a college football player so, uh, and I know both of those two guys extremely well, but, you know, being a father, man, it's a full-time job, guys. And we have got to make sure that we hold each other accountable. You know, tonight's show is going to be a lot about accountability. It's going to be a lot about credibility to some degree. But, again, you know, we have got to join together. We've got a lot going on in the world today. You've got COVID-19. You've got the separation throughout our country right now with a lot of just it is a, it is a natu- national disaster tragedy, if you will. We continue to deal with this. And again, you know, with the young man whose life was taken too early just days ago in Georgia, you know, I I don't understand some of this, uh, but we'll get into some of this conversation possibly throughout the show. But our thoughts and prayers are are, are with that family in Georgia. You know, his wife spoke just um, yesterday, I believe, and and she asked for a peaceful demonstration of protest, and and, and I literally uh, teared up. When, when she said that, because you can hear the kid, the young individual in the background, you know, it's something that is heartfelt to me because I'm a father and I couldn't imagine what my kids would not be able to spend a father's day because they're going to miss that father's day. And uh, it was years ago uh, that I lost a, a brother of mine that I found who uh, had, had taken his own life uh, the day before father's day. And uh, every time that it gets closer, it gets harder. And uh, the only thing I can tell you that's going to kill all this hate, guys, is love. And I'm going to encourage you that through the break. 
is to uh, continue to, to love your neighbor, love your brother, love your sister, love those in and around the communities that you're in, guys. Going to take a break. Going to come back. We're getting into business. Joey Steele, offensive line coach from Fort Dorchester, going to jump in here with us and talk about the big guys at the fort. He'll also talk about some of the big guys that have come through the fort, all that and much more. Don't go anywhere. back everybody it's now time to head over there to the 10th farm hotlines and at the fourth we're going to have recommended here with us is coach joey Steele, the offensive line coach coach what's the word over there at the fort you guys are up and running some practices now in the books after yesterday huh hey richie uh yeah man oh god it felt so good to get back and uh get back to seeing these kids and uh and uh i've missed them so much and uh they had the opportunity to get around you know, some younger O-line guys and some older O-line guys. And just see, you know, just see all the kids in general, um, even seeing the coaches. You know, we had met a couple of times, um, you know, prior to starting up on Monday and making sure that we had everything set in stone and everything going in the right direction and uh, making sure that we were following all the guidelines. But it was so great getting back, seeing each other. And it was so hard not to go up and, 
give high fives and give hugs and everything else since it's been so long since I've seen them. We're live right now with the offensive line coach over at Fort Dorchester, the one and only coach Joey Steele joins us right now here in Southern Sports Central as we check in on the fort. These guys got their practice day one in the books yesterday. They'll do it again tomorrow and then again on Friday as they slowly transition wave after wave or uh, section after section, I guess we should say when talking about the fort, uh, as they get back to getting into what's going to be the 2020 football season. Of course, uh, Coach Dale, we're starting with you as an offensive line coach, and we're ending it with Jarrell King, who played for the Gamecocks and some other organizations after college, but he's a big offensive lineman as well. So I figured it was only fitting to get the bookmarks in there uh, with the, the, the big guys. You've had a <laughs> lot of success well, with you. offensive lines, man. Talk to us about it, well, man. I, I know there's a new uh, offensive uh, coordinator coming in with Brent uh, LaPrade. He's going to jump from the defense now, I think, to offense. But uh, what's your success on building this powerhouse of front that you have over there at the fort? Well, to be honest with you, Richie, I, you know, I've been very fortunate to be a lot around a lot of great coaches in my younger career. And, you know, I played for Matt Ware and, and Barnwell. And, you know, I, I said years and years and years, he's the best offensive line coach I've ever been around. And then having the opportunity to work with Jerry Brown at, at, at Berkeley, and he was an offensive line guru. And just taking everything I've learned from, you know, everybody else. And Coach Caldwell at Clemson, I've spent a lot of time with him. And, you know, even the last eight years working with Ian Rafferty, who played at Somerville and obviously the new head coach, and he played in the league and played at NC State. And just taking everything I can from so many people and just being able to, you know, instill in young guys um, – discipline and character and you know I think that falls a lot in with offensive line if you if you don't have discipline you don't have character it's hard to play the offensive line because as you know just as well as I do it's, it's the guys that whose name aren't going to show up on the on the Saturday paper on Saturday mornings but it's you know they don't get a lot of credit and um you know I just I, I love my guys and I've been very fortunate to be a lot around a lot of good guys good players at Fort Dorchester. We're live right now with Joey Steele. He's the offensive line coach over there at Fort Dorchester. These guys have basically dominated the low country at least the last, I'd say, eight to ten years uh, pretty convincingly, and it starts in the trenches, whether it be the defensive line or the big nasties on the offensive line. But while these kids look to be big and nasty, uh, they're some of the softest kids on the football team, Coach. What is it about that offensive <laughs> line guy that is intimidating from the beginning but very lovable there at the end? Well, I tell them all the time, man, you, it, it, there's a switch, and it's got to flip. And, you know, when you play football on Friday nights, you play for four quarters, and, and that, that flip has to switch. I mean, you know, we can be the nicest guys off the field uh, that we can possibly be. And, you know, I've coached a lot of great kids that were, you know, really big teddy bears, you know, off the field, and everybody loved being around them. But it, when it was time to strap it up and – and uh, play football, they, they, they knew how to flip the switch. Now, of course, we are very close with the coach over there at Georgia State, Coach Elliott, who coached also uh, in the state, but at the University of South Carolina, grew up in Sumter. But I asked him a very similar question about how important it is for the offensive line and where does it uh, begin to win, and him being an offensive line coach himself. How much have you watched his coaching strategies and the way he does things, and how much do you watch other coaches around the country and third thing I'm going to give you three questions that kind of come with is who is that yeah. offensive line guy that you kind of look up to when it comes to coaching well I'll be honest with you <clears throat> I've spent a lot of time 
with Coach Elliott. <laughs> um, you know, I've picked his brain numerous times when he was at South Carolina, um, and um, I've studied a lot of his film, been in his office and sat down and talked with, you know, with him numerous times. As Coach Caldwell, I've done that with him also. Um, you know, very fortunate those guys have been down to Fort to visit and recruit and been able to spend time with them when they come down. Um, going to their clinics and sat down with them and watched film with them. And they both both of those guys and, and, and other guys also have been so, you know, opened their arms up and they're so good to high school coaches. You know, they, they, they let us come in, they open up the, the facility, let us go in and watch film and, and kind of learn and study from, you know, from the very first getting in the stance and taking your steps to finishing blocks and to certain blocking schemes and so forth. But, you know, I have to go back – to my high school football coach. I mean, he's the one that, you know, I played offensive line in, in, in high school and I played at college. And, you know, I was always the small guy. Um, but I was fortunate enough to go to a small school in North Carolina, Tawan University. It was a JUCO school at the time. Um, turned into four-year school. And, you know, I went in at 210 pounds and started right, game, right guard for 40 games for four years. And I wouldn't have been able to do it had I not had the success that my high school coach put me in just teaching me the, the fundamentals of football. And I think a lot of people, you know, I spend a lot of time with fundamentals. And I'm, I'm blessed to have a coach like Coach Pratt that I work for that gives me the time that I need to work fundamentals every single day and um, because that's the key to offensive line. You know, um, Jerry Brown told me years ago, he said, listen, he says, you can teach a kid how to be a running back. You can teach a kid how to catch a ball. You know, <clears throat> a lot of times – some kids get it, some kids don't. But to be an offensive lineman, all kids can learn to be an offensive lineman. It's just repetition, 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 fundamentals, fundamentals, fundamentals. So I've kind of just taken everybody's everybody's philosophy and just kind of, you know, built my own. We're live right now, of course, uh, with the offensive line coach, the big man, Coach Joey Steele from Fort Dorchester right here on the uh, South Carolina of uh, Low Country, and he again has some of the biggest guys. They get some of the biggest accolades. Definitely, maybe not during the game or during the season, but after the season, coach, it, it continues to happen. Now, I watched you basically have almost a breakdown moment during the NFL draft. There's a young man, of course, the storyline here in the Low Country is well known, but another special man. Let's talk about him real quick. And and why is this yeah. young man so close to your heart? And, and and what has he meant to you watching his success? Well, man, just watching where he came from. I mean, you know, everybody kind of knows the story in the low country, but wow. I mean, he's just – he's spectacular, man. I mean, to watch him grow and, and you know, his mother and his, his little brother and, and the fact that he would get on, get on the, the bus and go to the city and work at night after school just to make sure that his mom and his brother were taken care of at a young age. And, I mean, that that's where it started. And, you know, I spent many hours going and picking him up and, and taking him to practice and just building a relationship with him. And he would come here on, you know, weeknights and, you know, sit down with my family at the table. We'd have meals and just it was part of my family. And, you know, um, to watch him grow into the young man that he's become, it's just – it's it's unbelievable. I mean, it's a story. It's a blindside story, and it's 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 one of those you know things that that happens once a lifetime. And I'm just glad to be a small part of a, the whole process. Now, of course, we're talking about John Simpson. His story is well documented here in the Low Country from 
him not only being a five-star football player, but being a 20-star individual in and around any community, almost anywhere he, he, he came in contact with, Coach. And then he gets drafted, then he gets engaged. I mean, it's just like the, the big wow factor. And he hit it all at the same weekend, huh, Coach? Yeah, he sure did. And for the record, I knew that was going to happen. It was just a matter of time when he got drafted. <laughs> <laughs> nah, but he's she's a great young girl, man. She's a great young lady, and she's uh she's got great great parents. Comes from a great family. Um, he could not have have met anyone um, better for him. Um, you know, we always joked around with him when he was in high school and told him, "Listen, when you go to Clemson, your goal is to find the tallest girl you possibly can find." And make sure that you marry her because your children are going to be enormous. And uh, she's tall. She's beautiful. Um, she's got a great family. lives over in Mount Pleasant. And um, and uh, she's actually been out on the boat with us a couple of times. And we've caught some fish together. And she's just down to earth and a great, great girl. Live right now with the Office of Line Coach over Fort Dorchester. Coach Joey Steele joins us here on the Tent Farm Hotline as we are taking a campus tour as the fort is up and underway in the weight room and around the field as they're starting to stretch it out a little bit before they get into the next chapter or the next section of this opening back up to the normal here in the low country with high school football coaches. Uh, when you look at this thing, do you see us really starting? In your perspective, again, I get it, you're not a doctor and you don't have the crystal ball, yeah. maybe that eight ball that, from Walmart that we all like to shake in our younger days. But when it comes down to right. it, do you think we get back to normal come September or do you think it's going to be a different type of season? Well, I, I really think we will. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know how it will be on Friday nights with the stands um, as far as the crowd. Um, I hope everything goes to – back to normal but I really believe right now with everything opening up and us being in phase one I really think and that's why Coach Pratt, you know he had us meet so many times as a staff before we got started on Monday is I think it's really important that everybody follows the guidelines and, and I think that's the key if everybody comes in you know all the high school high school coaches training staff everybody comes in and follows the procedures follows, you know, the guidelines, and, and they're not really even guidelines. They're rules, and that's one thing that Dorchester 2 did, you know, they explained to us when we met as, as, a, as a school, as a district, was, hey, listen, these aren't guidelines. These are rules. This has to happen, and, you know, I think, you know, Somerville, Ash Ridge, everything I've heard, they've done a great job, you know, on the first day. We did, I feel like we did an outstanding job on the first day, and as long as the high schools continue following these rules, and, and do things the right way, I think we'll be okay. Um, you know, it'll take that one school that, you know, that decides one day that, you know, their coach isn't going to wear a mask or they're not going to keep their kids separated six feet. And, yeah, I think it'll, you know, mess everything up. But so far, so good. I'm going to turn it over to Eugene. I know he's got a couple of things uh, he wants to catch up with okay. before we get you out of here, Coach. Eugene, go ahead and take it over a little bit, bud. I, I know you saw my, my response on the other trade we're going on, but just wanted to talk to you about your team and, uh, you know, specifically there's some players you want to give some shout-outs to that, uh, you know, because we've been down for so long. And I know uh, the kids I train, I was able to train one-on-one during the break and things like that. But, right. you know, kind of seeing seeing the, the high school team and, and I went over to drop some stuff off and uh, saw, saw, you know, some of the kids with uh, Coach Cole over at Oceanside. But uh, 
talk to us a little bit about what you got. Uh, how those guys after you know it was about four months off, so to speak, you know, from from your weight room and under your you know under your hands and under your arms. Uh, talk to us a little bit about those guys and and what they look like and and some of the things you're with uh, seeing that first day. I got you. Yeah, I'm gonna be honest with you, Gene. I was very impressed the way our kids came back Monday. I mean, you know, obviously I saw some kids that hadn't really done much, um, you know, over the break, but I saw some kids that really came back looking really, really good. And um, there's been some kids that have been getting together and been working and doing some things. And, you know, and, and you know, it's hard to speak for, for all the other groups. I, I can speak for my group as far as the offensive line. I was very impressed, you know, the way that, um, that, that some of them came back, um, the way they looked. Um, they they definitely have been taking care of themselves, um, been doing things the right way, not just sitting on the couch all day. Now there were some that you know there were some that you know after the workout on Monday they you know they were struggling a little bit of course you know and I knew that we knew that was going to happen and of course you know uh, we as a coaching staff and, and Coach Floyd is is our weight and strength coach we knew that we weren't going to be able to come in the first week or two and be able to come in and just go hardcore. I mean, we knew that we were going to have to gradually bring these guys, you know, um, back to where they were since March. I mean, a lot of these guys haven't touched a weight or done much at all since March. So we kind of had to plan accordingly um, for that. But overall, I was really impressed. I mean, we had a kid that wants to play offensive line. He wants to play center. And um, that's where his brother played for me a couple years ago. And um, his dad's actually on our JV staff. His name's Max Garrido. Um, he, he came in, he weighed 210 pounds in March, and he spent the whole entire um, COVID break, or whatever, whatnot, whatever you want to call it, and he's gained 20 pounds, and he's 230 pounds, and his goal is 240, and he looks awesome. Not a, not a speck of fat. I mean, he looks absolutely awesome. So these guys know, man, they, they, know, what it, they know what it takes. They, they know what it takes. They know what it takes to win. They, we work very hard at Fort Dorchester. And we have a lot of competition, a lot of different spots. And these guys know that, you know, if they sit on the couch and play PlayStation all day or sit around and eat all day, that there's a good chance when we get rolling back around, hey, I may even lose my spot. And, um, you know, so I think, I think the kids took a lot of pride in, you know, in, in not just sitting around and eating and getting fat every day. Well, no doubt, and that's probably you probably answered my next question. I was going to ask you, you know, following uh, the the college sports, with, with, especially with Carolina and Clemson, everybody's on the uh, you know the Gamecock Central boards and the Clemson boards and Tiger Illustrated, and everybody wants to see you know who that guy is the first day of practice. Maybe somebody they didn't know or a name that just jumped out. Uh, is Garrido that guy for you, or is there someone else that you kind of like? I mean, he, you know, that, yeah, he could jump out, and you're like, holy crap, yeah. Yeah, he could be. And I mean, and, and what and year is he going to be? Say that again. What year is he going to be this this fall? What, what, he'll be a, he he'll a ju- be a junior. He'll be he'll be a junior. Yeah, okay, he'll be so a he's junior. Still got and, another year. And, wow. Yeah, and 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 he he knew that he was in between a few different positions. DN played some tight end last year for us, and he was in between some different um, you know positions. But he knew that there was a center spot available. So that, he, you know, we graduated a senior last year, and he knew that, you know, hey, you know, i got to do whatever I can do to possibly get, you know, get me a spot. So he, he wasn't going to sit around the whole entire COVID break, or, or, um, and he was going to work his tail off, and that's just the kind of kid, you know, that's the kind of kid he is. You know, and we have a lot of kids like that. We have a lot of kids that, you know, that they've seen kids come out of fort. They've seen kids be successful. 
They see your John Simpsons. They see, you know, they see your Carlos Dermaps. They see your Robert Quinns. And they want to be successful. They, they want to be successful. So they, they see the big picture. And then you've got some kids who have tunnel vision who can't really see the big picture that, you know, sit back and are lazy and do things. Everybody has them. But, um, you know, it's, it's, it, it was really good to see those kids come back, you know, in, in the shape they were in. Now, as an all of, all, uh, offensive line coach, I know, like you said, you mentioned Coach Caldwell, and uh, I was up there for three days with one of the big uh, clinics camps last year. He's a guy yes. that likes his center to be one of the smartest guys in the offensive line. Is, that, uh, is that something Absolutely. you rely on too? Absolutely. Absolutely. We have so many calls um, that, you know, are made on the offensive line, and they're trans – you know, they're they're – um, pass down the offensive line, and it always works from the inside out. So um, the center has to be, you know, he has to be the first one that recognizes the front. Is it an odd front? Is it an even front? Are they giving us some kind of different, you know, some type of blitz? Where's the Mike linebacker? All these different things, depending on the play, depending on the um, protection, and the, it all starts with the center. Well, that's awesome, Coach. It's 629. I bet the bell's about to go off in about 20 seconds and let us know we got to hit the break. But I just want to thank you for your time, man. I'd love to come over there and uh, see what you guys do sometime. I'm kind of a – you know, I I do a little bit of consulting, but I'm not on staff anymore, just kind of training kids and like to get around. But I'd I'd definitely love to come over there and see what you got and definitely love to see what you line up for special teams and things like that. Absolutely. Anytime. Y'all are welcome anytime. All right, buddy. Go ahead, Rich. I'll let you turn it over. My bad, guys. My bad. My bad. I do appreciate it, Coach. Uh, You've always opened the door. You, of course, uh, the the head coach over there, Coach Pratt, has been amazing. Your fans, your family, uh, your 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 uh, the parents. I mean, it's it is definitely Eugene a trip that you want to make over there because I tell you what, as long as you don't go over there in the wrong gear. You know what gear I'm talking about. <laughs> you You're all right. right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think don't Coach Pratt would like that too much. <laughs> yeah, as long as you don't wear that other color that they call it, uh, Kelly, <laughs> the green, you're all right. But now, all kidding aside, you guys are awesome, amazing. Uh, I, I love you guys to death. I appreciate the warm welcome. Again, I, I communicate with as many of your players as I do the Somerville guys, and you and I both know that. And thanks to Summer, you know, Southern Sports Central, we got to have – you know, Brandon, big Brandon Johnson committed to Navy on this show. I mean, he could have gone anywhere. That's he came right. to us, and That's that, right. that meant a lot to us, right? So, um, well, anything we can do so to get much. the word out, we'd love to have you. Well, thank you so much for having me on again. Appreciate Always you guys pleasure, very much. Coach. Thanks for all you do. Thank you. There Take you care. go, ladies and gentlemen. Right. A quick break. We'll come back. When we do, we're heading to Charlotte, North Carolina. But I want to give a shout-out to the fort. Thank you very much, uh, Coach LaPrade, for allowing Coach Dill to join us tonight to get this in the loop of what's going on because they have started their practice, well, yesterday. They started getting it out and about and stretching it out, if you will, of course, over there at Fort Dorchester. Now, they are a very strong point here in the low country, returning a lot of players, changing a few coaches. They've got a new strength and conditioning coach. They brought in some guys. They've got Kenny Walker, who was at one time at Ashley Ridge. He was the head coach there, but he comes in to join a longtime friend of his, Coach Pratt. But they've got playmakers not only on the field, but on the sideline as well. Of course, uh, I mentioned – uh, Brent LaPrade, he's going to jump from the defense to the offense. And this is a guy that knows football in and out. He's a coach's kid. You know how that goes. So uh, we're excited to continue to grow that relationship right here on Southern Sports Central with those guys over there at the fort. And it was only, what, three weeks ago when we had the entire staff from the principal to the athletic director to a baseball coach join us. 
We're going to take a quick break. We come back. Hopefully, we're going to get in to Charlotte, North Carolina, where we'll check in with the one and only, of course, uh, that's Reginald Walker, Jr. He's going to get us up to date on a lot of things that are happening in and around the world of sports. Guys, don't go anywhere. Welcome back, everybody. It's now time to head to Charlotte, North Carolina, where the temp farm is loaded right now with a hot guest at 6.30 on a Tuesday afternoon like there is no other. Of course, we're talking about the one and only Reginald Walker, Jr., played his days with Joe Pye and, of course, the Penn State Nittany Lions. Currently, he's in Charlotte where he oversees a handful of opportunities and I would say uh, big-time names there in Charlotte. What's up, big guy? Not too much. How y'all doing this wonderful Tuesday? A little chilly in the QC. Um, I don't know about down there along the coast, but it's a little chilly up here. Man, and it came in last night. It felt a little bit like a winter night. I mean, because, again, it doesn't get that cold in Charleston, but last night it literally was cold. I mean, I didn't even turn the AC on last night, so I I agree with you. But one thing that's not cold are the topics here on today's show because it has been quite a busy uh, afternoon, anything and everything you can imagine. I've seen – uh, and let's start off right now. A lot of changes are happening around college football with uh, what we've seen with the separation around the country. Uh, they're asking for names off the of buildings. You're seeing helmets change. Uh, of course, we'll start in Clemson where they are taking a name off the building there. Uh, Virginia looks like they're going to redo their helmet. Here in the Citadel, they're asking for the uh, name on the stadium to be removed. Uh, Reginald, your thought on all these changes that are starting to take place as we saw this a few years ago with Ole Miss. Now you're starting to see it at other universities around the country. I just think it's a seed change. I think we are in an era to where um, because um, a feeling of a player or group of players can carry so much further uh, with the advent of social media, I think you're seeing more of the groundswell and more people getting behind it. And a lot of schools and a lot of organizations uh, looking at, A, the PR a backlash from it, but then B, um, 
listen, I, I think everybody in, in seeing um, the, the near nine minutes as it related to the death of George Floyd, I think that created and, and forced a lot of people to look within themselves, and they found a lot more maybe compassion. Um, not, not to say that they didn't have it before, but I think they thought more about it um, because when you see something like that, it, it triggers something in you uh, generally, it, 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 you know, from a humanitarian standpoint. Um, and so I think that's what a lot of this is, is you're seeing so many people that look so many different ways, right, getting behind these things because the opinions and the conversations and the feelings that are impacted, uh, that, that people are, are feeling uh, that impact them to, to make a statement, um, you're seeing more and more people relate to those things. So I think that's the major piece of it um, that's creating such a movement of change right now. Well, of course, that's just one of many conversations happening around college football. Oklahoma State also in the news. Of course, this one coming out of uh, something you saw a coach have on just over the weekend. Oklahoma State football coach apologized for the T-shirt after the star running back, Chuba Hubbard, called him out. Now, I want you to talk a little bit about that. Of course, you know, and I had no idea what the shirt meant. I really didn't. I was uneducated about it, so I didn't want to get in social media when you look at it there, Reginald, but when I started to look into it and then somebody sent me a video, I almost thought, was this a hoax? Is this real? Would this really be a news coverage? Almost kind of like a TMZ type of thing for CNN. Uh, update us on that and, and kind of give us your thoughts. As a, this, was a, this is a Heisman Trophy candidate early, of course, in 2020, talking about not running if uh, this stuff doesn't get taken care of. Let, let me say it this way, and this is something I, I, I said on Twitter. Here's the bottom line for me, as it relates to Mike Gundy. Now, I didn't know, I, 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 I'll be, I'm right there with you. I didn't know much about OAN, okay, the, the network that, that Gundy was wearing a shirt of. I didn't know much about them either. I had to go do my own research to really understand uh, what, what that organization or what that channel is about, if you will. And here's my, my response to the whole thing. As a coach, when you recruit players and you bring them in your locker room and bring them in your program, you tell them to respect each other, play for each other, work hard with each other, encourage each other, uplift each other, and most of all, don't do anything negative to the other guy. Well, as a coach, I'm going to say that again, as a coach, if that's what you're preaching to your players, that darn well better be what you're doing as it relates to your players. So as far as I'm concerned, as it relates to Mike Gundy, regardless of what the network was, regardless of what the word he may have said or not, whatever, the bottom line is if you're asking your players to come into a program and, 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 and play for each other and become one, you as the coach have to be, be a part of that one. And part of being one with your teammates and your players and your coaches it's not doing things any way, shape, or form. That's what that's about. That's why we've seen for years, whether it's – I mean, look at, look at the last dance. Dennis Rodman. We, the guy, and, and I'm not comparing the situations, but the guy's a wild card. But they knew when it was game time, he was playing for everybody else. Right. That's what coaches are asking players to do. Mike Gundy is, uh, I guess he's 50 now. He's probably a little more than 50. 
We know about him being a man and being 40. <laughs> at yeah. this point, at this point, you've been asking your players, including Chuba Hubbard, to come into your program and treat the other guys a certain way. Why wouldn't you as a coach do the same thing? Yeah, I agree with you. Now, of course, this was the statement by, uh, by this coach. He says, and this is quote, my players helped me see through their eyes how the T-shirt affected their heart. Gundy said in an apology, quote, once I heard how the network felt about Black Lives Matters, I was disgusted and knew it was a complete unacceptable to me. Now, again, we talk about Mr. Herbert. He talked, He said, I will not stand for this, linking this, of course, uh, to what's going on in the world, to how this coach can bluntly not know what the shirt means. And, and again, for me, I, I, I want to believe him because I don't want to see a coach who has stood up for so much good for his kids to now make such a bonehead, unrealistic decision that I, it's hard to not believe. I mean, come on. How many shirts have you worn where you didn't know at the age of, like you would say, 50 or at our age of the early 40s that we didn't know what it said? That's fair. And, 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 and here's the thing about it, though. As a coach, you're constantly telling your players, we're going to wear this when we're on the road. We're going to wear that when we travel. We're going to look like this around campus because it's all a visual. Would you want them to just blindly put a uniform on as a coach? Right. See, to me, this goes back to anything that you as a coach or us as coaches, right, because we're closer to that age. If I'm a 50-year-old coach, I should be in terms of life things, I should be smarter than my 19-year-old player. And if not, we may have a bigger issue going on here. Well, I can tell you this. When I look at it, Reginald, here is now the third coach that has now been into a situation. It started in Florida State and Tallahassee, right, where the coach Mm -hmm. evidently didn't do his homework. Okay? (laughs) Now we got another coach in Clemson who I get it. But I ask you the question, and we said this last week, but realistically, would it be such a forgiven fan base if this was a guy in Columbia or a guy in Vanderbilt or a guy somewhere else that isn't winning as many games as he's winning? Because that's a pretty solid situation up there. Now, I'm not saying that he's one way or the other, but accountability begins at the top. As my favorite movie knows, and Eugene knows I'm getting ready to quote, what's that? That's that movie that I watch all the time on – in, in the summertime to get my football fix, of course, remember the Titans. Attitude reflects mm-hmm. what? Leadership. It starts at the top. And if you don't know what right. you're doing at the top, if you're not going to go out there and handle things at the beginning, and now you're not sorry. You're sorry you got caught. We tell our kids that all the time. Are you sorry that you did it? Or are you sorry you got caught? That's the difference. And you saw that, of course, with Joe Pye and Penn State years ago. And you saw where that led, not to good things. And now oh, third yeah. coach, we're heading to Oklahoma are you sorry that you wore the shirt? Are you sorry that you didn't do it the right way? Are you sorry you got caught wearing the shirt? And now the real, there's some truth to it. And let me give you an added piece to that. And, I, and I'm going to admit something here on the air, which I'm sure everybody probably can assume anyway. I don't mind a beer or two every now and then. I don't. Huh. And that's, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Or a glass of wine or a glass of scotch with a cigar. I get it. But I'm also very particular about being out places in the era of social media and folks taking pictures of me with any kind of adult beverage in my hand. 
I don't make $6 million a year and coach football at Oklahoma State. But I know if I did, I would probably be even more particular about what someone posted if I were in his position than I am now. To add to that, I was at an event last year uh, with a lot of media folks that I know, and one of them right. I hadn't seen in a long time. And we were having a, having a beer, and someone snapped a picture of us for me. Before I posted it, I said, hey, you mind if I post this? The response was, sure, no problem. I said, are you positive because there is a beer in your hand? And then the text I got back was, yeah, let's probably not post that. I completely mm. understand it. So, again, he also has to understand he's Mike Gundy. If you're a fan of Oklahoma State and you run into Mike Gundy or you're fishing with Mike Gundy, you're probably going to post that picture and say, I was hanging out with Mike Gundy. Same thing with Dabo, same thing with Will Muschamp, same thing with Urban Meyer. Those guys have to be aware of all of that. It comes with the territory and the paycheck. And so you've got to be aware of how you're projecting because your players, listen, players look at coaches and they go, I better not have a hypocrite as a coach. Tells them one thing and does the other. And now they can do it on social media and put it out there for the entire public. I agree with you because here's the thing. Perception is what? Reality. If I perceive there something, you go. then it's reality to me. And that is something you can hashtag it, you can retweet it, you can post it on Facebook, but perception is reality. We tell our kids all the time, I'm like you. I am on the, in the media scene between being on a local TV station here in town during the football season, on the radio throughout certain parts of the year, doing what I do in the community, of course, with the youth. There's just some places I might want to go, but I know that it's just not a good move for me to be there because I can only control me. I can't control what's right. around me. So I have to control mm-hmm. what is around me, and that's the side. So a lot of times you and I miss a lot of fun. Eugene, I know you as well, but we do, guys. We miss a lot of fun. That would be fun for guys our age, but because we care more about our perception and the reality of really who we are, and that, again, we continue to see that. Social media has not only opened up opportunities, it's opened up doors. More people have been fired in the last two weeks from local school districts, from jobs, from you name it. I'm telling you, corporations are getting every day. Twitter is getting led and fed through every bad, dumb post you've ever thought about putting. And trust and believe me, guys. It takes me, and I've done it, it takes me 10 seconds to take a snapshot of your picture of whatever you tweet, and it takes you 10 minutes to put it together, right? Wouldn't you say so, uh, Reginald? Oh, yeah. And, 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 you know, to add all that up, think about how long it took you to put that post together all to, to begin with, right? And then how quickly everything's gone because of that post. Everything can be gone. Quicker than it took you To send out that tweet Yeah I shouldn't say the late As the great Herm Edwards once said Don't press send Yeah I I would agree with that I think that's it Eugene I want to bring you in Because I know you always have some some hot topics as well That you've been kind of following around the country But uh, I'll bring you in to kind of talk a little bit About what we're talking about Because again guys this is a roundtable conversation. We're seeing a huge change. I mean, there were guys that, that, that even Dabo mentioned, he didn't even know 
I think it was, and don't quote me, again, not, not quoting this, but he didn't even know what the guy on the building even did. And I don't honestly believe that because I think Dabo's a very intelligent man and researches about everything that comes across his eyesight. However, it, it is what it is there. Your thoughts, Eugene, on some of the things we talked about. Yeah, and, and, to, and to piggyback on that, on the Clemson thing with, uh, you know, that was one thing when, when the guys brought that up, when um, Hopkins brought it up and Watson brought it up with, you know, the names of something. You know, I had actually, since I have a, an MBA and I studied economics and finance, um, it's actually a book. Now, I've never read that book, but I've read excerpts of it, and that was the, the Tillman's book on economics for the famous Tillman Hall at Clemson. Um, and it's some pretty harsh language in that book. I don't know. Have you heard about it, Reggie? Yeah, I have. I have not read it in full. Um, it, it, it. I'll be honest. I tried. It's, it's a hard read um, because I, I of some of the things that are in there. Honestly, I don't blame you for putting it down. I mean, it was basically, um, you know, just, just, just some of the, the words that were used in the economic study of not ending slavery and educating. You know, I'm not going to use that word, so I'll say educating. You know, black men is ruining farmhands and educating them for the for the penitentiaries, you know, was an economic study. And, you know, it's just it, that's even though that's something that was 150 years ago, it, it's just that it's harmful, it's hurtful. And even to know that it's almost celebrated by, by having something like an iconic structure, you know, if, if you walk on Duke's campus, one of the, and, and I had the pleasure of touring Duke's campus back in uh, January when uh, Coleman was up in the Carolina Bowl, and one of the iconic structures you see is that chapel. Now, if that chapel was named after someone who, you know, had, had published a book on the economics of slavery and, and almost promoting uh, the economics of slavery and how it was such a great thing, you know, I imagine the folks at Duke would be kind of questioning or, or you know, that, wanting to change that name. So, you know, it's just, it's just such an iconic building and an iconic thing. When you see pictures of the university, it's on degrees. When people get their degrees, you know that that tall building with it uh, looks like a clock tower. Kind of reminds me of Big Ben over there in uh, England. You know, it's just it's just harmful and hurtful. And you know these guys that suited up and gave their all and and, and represented the university as great men. You know, someone like Deshaun Watson and brought a national championship. And when they reach out and say, you know, this is hurtful, and and you get it, even though you may not agree with everything, but you kind of get it. And you can kind of understand some pain involved in that and so you know uh, i'm not necessarily for changing every name of everything because history is history but there are some parts of history that's ugly and that to me is just yep. one of those parts that's very ugly uh, listen i you know that I, and i totally and that's the thing i think that a lot of people lose sight of you know I, I had someone say to me the other day well you know why does why does it matter that you know a couple of football players want a name on a building change. Then I go, when did those football players do something that people feel is hurtful? If you got examples, then I'll tell you they can't put their name on it either. But until we have those examples on the flip side, what are we talking about? We're talking about doing right by another human being, period. That's been my whole thing is, we're talking about doing right by another human being. Yeah, I agree. That, that's there, the only thing know, I would ask people to do. 
a lot of these things are named after people who are, you know, somewhat famous politicians or people who have been leaders or people who have made differences in the country and things like that at one point in time. And, you know, there's some current people who are leaders who have buildings and things named after them. And you kind of start to question, you know, even them, you know, today. And it's kind of like, you know, well, you know, if we're changing names, you know, you've got some pretty ugly stuff in your past, too, that's hurtful. You know, and so do we need to name do we really need to name buildings after people? Do we really need to? I mean, there are great people. Now, there are great people who positively influenced our country, who changed our country and altered the things. Sure. But it's kind of like going forward, you know, you really need to go back and examine these things that are named after people and, and, and look forward to, you know, the next time something's named is like, you know, maybe we need to do a little investigation because heaven forbid, you know, we get 5, 10, 20, 30 years down the road. And it's like, whoa, we didn't even know that. You know, and here we are, you know, 30 years down the road, people are like, gosh, you know, that that's really harmful and hurts my feelings, too. And do I want to go and sit in a classroom named after someone that, you know, completely offends me, my family, my heritage, my everything about, you know, what we're doing now? It's just, it, it's just you know, I think, really think we need to take a look at that before we name stuff going forward, especially. Um, while you're on, and I, I wanted to hit you up, with, I was thinking about this all week and, and when having you on, I know you come on Tuesday, it's kind of changing the subject a little bit. But you're up in North Carolina. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about what's going on with the whole Duke thing and uh, a player from South Carolina and a house that's been in the news and things like that? What are you hearing in Charlotte? Yeah, uh, you, you're talking about uh, Zion Williamson. Um, yeah. And that 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 whole thing. It right now it seems like it, what's going to be interesting to find out is um, because I think the latest thing we saw was that. Uh, basically everything's kind of in a little bit of a holding pattern as oftentimes we see in the legal system. Uh, but part of the discussion right now um, is basically North Carolina's laws on eligibility and South Carolina, there's some, there's a little bit of differences. Now, Eugene, you would know better than me. I'm not the legal guy here, um, but there are some differences in terms of what makes you eligible and essentially what the way I understand it, the uh, former uh, marketing agent or, or or whatever the role was, is essentially trying to prove that Zion was ineligible, which means the contract that they signed um, made it binding because it was never signed with an amateur athlete, essentially. So there's some back and forth on that. Um, they're t- and, and basically, a- until they can prove that that he took something or they got a house based on that, which, by the way, there are athletes all the time that their families move to certain cities. Now, I don't know what all their financial ramifications are at the time, but things happen, right? It's amazing how those things can work. Um, you know, as it stands right now, the way I look at it, it's frustrating uh, because – you know, Zion was just a kid trying to do what he thought was best for himself at 17, 18 years old. On the flip side of that, um, if Duke gets caught up in this um, to have been what some people are saying may be complicit um, in getting Zion some additional benefits, uh, including the house that his parents lived in, some cars I think are in the conversation as well, then we've got a bigger story, and how could that impact the Duke basketball program moving forward if there are any sanctions, et cetera. However, I will say this. At this point, for me, 
if I were any institution dealing with something like this, I wouldn't worry about it at all because the media and everybody else has done so much of cutting the NCAA's legs out from under them anyway. The big power schools will not really get punished. I look at it like the North Carolina situation. Nothing's really going to happen. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, with what North Carolina was found guilty of, and that's basically creating sham classes, and, you know, everybody was saying that was beyond a death penalty, and they really got a slap on the wrist. But, you know, you look back to uh, 2005 with Reggie Bush, and that was the centerpiece of that investigation was the House. And that right. cost the Heisman. And, you know, what's been, it's been back in the news recently because the 10 years are up, and he's uh, been reinstated and able to come around campus and be, you know, I guess – not part of the team, not like on staff, but they said that he was able to join the team in some capacity, I guess coming to games and being around the facility as an alumni or whatnot. Now that's expired, but from what I recall, you know, having that house was a big part of that deal. Like I said, it cost them, you know, a championship. It cost them a bunch of other titles and money or or, or banners and and cost him the Heisman that they said still not going to be returned, even though the 10 years is up. And so, you know, they, these things have ramifications, but, you know, it, it's just kind of a, a thing is where's the investigation going to go and if it's going to go anywhere, because I agree with you, when it comes to the big teams, when it comes to Auburn, look at Auburn with Cecil Newton and Cam Newton, you know, it, it mm-hmm. created the quote-unquote Cecil Newton rule, you know, and the 280000 that went to the church or 180000 went to the church, you know, and, and, and you know, here he was. Uh, I think Cam was declared ineligible for four days. He was back in time for the SEC championship, national championship, because, you know, as we talked about before, you know, and, and unfortunately when it comes to eligibility and rules and what's fair, sometimes money wins the day. Yeah, and, and, and the last thing I would say on this is, too, is, is always look at timelines. Um, Reggie Bush's case basically took them five years to get it figured out. Uh, the North Carolina case, how many years did that take? Um, you know, so you start to look at some of these things and you realize that even if the NCAA does try to do something, it's going to take them forever to get anything done anyway. By that time, those players are long gone. Sometimes coaches are long gone. Full staffs are long gone. So when they go to make this rule, you know, who are they really hurting? They have, you know, they look at, you know, well, this new coach, players that have, you know, were in high school when this all went down. And, you know, it's kind of a, I guess it's a catch-22. Who are you punishing? Because you can't punish the guys who aren't there anymore, you know? So it's That's right. I mean, if you look at Reggie Bush's case, they were punishing kids that when he did that, they were in middle school. Exactly. And that's that's where I'm wondering. And, you know, like you said, I, I really think over, over the past few years through the media and through, uh, you know, public opinion, the NCAA has just really lost some teeth. You know, it seems like the Power Five conferences really run the show you know, if you're a team in that Power Five conference, it seems like you have a little bit of a, an insurance policy because nobody wants to see you not succeed because, you know, that's what puts 80,000 people in the stands. That's what puts drives the TV ratings, and the NCAA knows that's how they get paid, especially, especially when it comes to Duke or North Carolina because the biggest payday for the NCAA, we all know, is March Madness, $2 billion a year. That's right. And so when that's they right. don't have the Dukes in North Carolina is making it to the – you know, Sweet 16 and Final Fours, they don't have the, the butts in the seats and they don't have the butts in front of the television sets. Couldn't have said it better myself. Well, well Randy, as you Mary. know, it's now top of the hour, so we're going to, of course, uh, have to go to break. But as always, man, uh, we want to send you off in fashion. And uh, it's always good to hear from you for 30 minutes. We need you for longer, man. So if you can ever get that 
that pass to get us an hour, get us the whole show. We'd love to kind of do this roundtable thing. And who knows, maybe do a Facebook Live thing where all three could be looking at one another for a change. But uh, quickly, how do we get in touch with you? How do we find you? And uh, what's coming up in your world? Uh, just uh, right now looking at uh, – I'm going to try to get in touch with uh, – I'm going to talk to some different coaches and see kind of how they're dealing with their kids being back in voluntary workouts. So we'll get that done in the next couple of weeks, and then I'll definitely talk to you guys next week. Um, in the meantime, catch me on Twitter at rwalk13, R-W-A-L-K-1-3. Um, and until next Tuesday at 630, you guys take care. We are. All right, there you go, ladies and gentlemen, the one and only Reginald Walker. He not only is the voice of multiple avenues up there in that Charlotte area with a couple of colleges, he also does some TV work, but he also is around and inside that community of Charlotte, North Carolina. Former player with Joe Pops, and, of course, that is Penn State. Got to go to break coming up. Hour two is coming up, and we're going to start on the diamond with the one and only Mr. Tory Tyson. He is a uh, – well, I'd say he's probably one of the best scouts I've seen in the biz, and he's been around for quite some time. So we'll talk to him about all the world of baseball coming up in hour number two. Welcome back, everybody. Hour one is done. We want to thank Coach Joey Still, the offensive line coach from Fort Dorchester. That's at high school down here in South Carolina. Of course, Reginald Walker, Jr., he's the voice of a few colleges around that Charlotte area, but he's also a face that you will see on TV, of course, behind the scenes as well. But in the community, he's a huge contributor to Southern Sports Central. Reginald Walker, Jr. played for Joe Pa and the Nittany Lions. Here we go now and rolling into hour number two. Of course, brought to you by our friends over at Gerns Pharmacy, located at 140 South Main Street. That's downtown Somerville at 843-873-2531. That's how you can give them a shout to call in your prescription or see if they have what you need. Or you can find them on the web at GernsPharmacy.com. So without further ado, we go back to the hotlines where we'll check in with uh, an MLB scout of his own hanging out over in Mount Pleasant, I believe, tonight, Mr. Tory Tyson. What's up, Mr. Tyson? How's it going, guys? Good, man. Good, good. Good to get you in here. Tell the missus we appreciate the hall pass and get you some time with us. Um, you know, of course, it's always good to talk baseball with a fellow baseball guy myself. Uh, and, again, unfortunately, we're not talking strikes and balls. We're talking strikeouts because it seems like uh, major leagues uh, still struggling to get on the same page with the players. Uh, give us an update, man, on uh, what you're reading. And, of course, you're tied into one of the best agents in the business, man. Uh, what's going on at y'all's office when it comes to a hopeful 2020 baseball season? Well, yeah, I, I mean, uh, it's it's ugly, man. It's really ugly. I, I don't know if everybody's seen the back and forth. And um, I, I just hope that there's so many things going on in this world right now that people are preoccupied with. I'm, I'm kind of hoping that deflects some of the disdain for the game of baseball here, because, you know, you got billionaires are against millionaires while some people don't have jobs. So, um, you know, just from, from that perspective, it's pretty uh, embarrassing to some degree and, and hopefully they can get something done. But, you know, as of right now, you know, it's, it's just the, uh, the banter back and forth, uh, you know, hey, we're going to lose money, and no, we're going to lose more money um, type thing. And so I think uh, both bluffs have been called now, and, and now we just got to wait and see if they can iron out the health issues um, this week in the next few days. And, 
and hopefully get in there for, you know, I've seen anywhere from 48 to, you know, 48 games scheduled to, um, you know, I know the players want as many as possible. So the players are hoping for a full schedule through November. So, um, you know, but I think realistically, I'm sure, I'm sure we're going to get something, um, you know, 50 to, to 80 games. Um, so uh, fingers crossed, but you never know. Live right now, Tori Tyson coming into us live from Mount Pleasant, South Carolina, hanging out with us over here on the Tent Farm Hotline. Of course, uh, Mr. Tyson is a major league scout. Uh, for uh, Again, let's talk about your boss a little bit because I want to make sure, and I'm going to let you kind of uh, roll the red carpet out for him because he has so many great individuals like yourself that represent him throughout the country, not only, of course, uh, with the agents and, and, and the scouting department, but also with the players. Uh, go ahead and, and talk about your boss if you don't mind. Um, yeah, I, I work for Scott Boris, and um, it's, it's one of those where, you know, I'm not sure if people know the name, but then you know as soon as you say it if they're a baseball fan or not because he's, you know, the top <laughs> agent in the world um, and obviously the top agent in baseball. Um, so I'm very blessed to work for him because um, I don't have to worry about my next paycheck like a lot of these agents um, in today's uh, climate. Um, but, yeah, I've, I've got a, a wonderful job working for him. Um, allows me to – to be at home with my kids and um, spend some time with them and, um, you know, couldn't, couldn't be happier being with him. And, you know, it just, um, it, it's, it just gives me the opportunity to go out, see, I go see uh, professional baseball players and, and it looks like now I'll kind of be adding in some of the amateur players since we don't really have minor leagues to look at this year. So, um, you know, interesting twist of things for myself. Now, of course, uh, we talk a little bit about uh, the major leagues right now. These guys are on a standstill, if you will. They're kind of uh, calling each other's bluff. Meanwhile, there is no College World Series. There is no Little League World Series. And, and when I look at it, you know, it was the College World Series that should be started, what, today or was it yesterday? Uh, the Little League World Series, uh, at least the road to that, should have already uh, get its, you know, its, its engines rearing up. But neither one of those two are going to happen. You know, Tori, when you look at these – is this going to have and how much of an effect is this going to have on baseball in the future? Because it's like I was telling Eugene earlier, you know, when you go to the weight room, if you're expecting an automatic return coming out looking like you've just picked up a car, you're going to be disappointed. Well, the same goes for anything on the other side of that as well. If you don't take care of your body, of course, it falls apart. Maybe not right away, but about a month from now it will. Same could be said possibly with baseball right now, correct? I mean, you don't have any college – Baseball happening, the little leagues are now slowly starting off, and of course, there's no major leagues or minor leagues, by the way, at all. What does it look like from your point of view? And this is something you and I have never seen in our lifetime. Well, yeah, I mean, we've got a little taste of it back, you know, when we lost the World Series uh, years ago under Bud Selig, and, and now you got Rob Manfred, you know, um, kind of putting his mark on things. And I think it'll be interesting to see what he wants his legacy to to be here. Um, and so hopefully, you know, hopefully he can get this done, um, to where, you know, we can get back, uh, you know, last time we had the strike, we had, luckily we had Mark McGuire and, and, uh, Sammy Sosa fighting the, the very next year for the home run title, um, which I think saved the game. I, I think a lot of baseball people say that that saved the game. And, um, you know, now with, uh, with all the steroid testing, I don't think you're going to have anybody save the game like that. But, um, but you know, I, here, here's what I'm hoping, um, you know, and I, I pray that 
that baseball is the first to come back because I think everybody is looking for something, anything. I can't stand watching the NBA, but if they start up at Disney next week, I'll be watching every game. Uh, you know, I, I just think everybody's looking for some type of escape from the, you know, reality and, and to get back into the sports world. And so I hope that's what can save baseball as they crank up here in a couple of weeks. And then everybody kind of, you know, forgets about it and might even bring some more fans in that you hadn't before just because they're, they, they've got nothing else to do, quite frankly. We're live right now. Tori Tyson, he's a big-time scout for the major leagues. His boss is, of course, Mr. Scott Burst. You know him as well as anybody. Like you said, if you're a baseball guy, that name should come pretty easily to you uh, when you uh, get into uh, the depth of what today and, of course, the agency is all about. Now, we just dealt with the draft, and you're seeing a lot of guys go through that here the last week. We saw this with the NFL, where they had to have kind of a different style of uh, of the draft party, so on and so forth. Now, baseball's kind of done that already prior to this whole COVID thing, but this, in my opinion, has had to have guys like yourself do a lot more homework, go into the film room, get film sent in. How did it work for you guys? Because there was no college baseball this season, so it was a little bit harder for you guys to see, you know, some of the work from uh, these young individuals. Right. I, you know, like I said, I don't do much amateur, but, you know, I, I know from from a college standpoint, I, we, we've got a, a local, you know, uh, uh, advisee uh, at USC and, um, you know, a kid that was projected to be a sixth rounder. And um, for those of you who don't know that Major League Baseball cut down from 40 to five rounds this year. Um, you know, so this kid ended up not getting drafted where he, you know, I think he's a, a top, a top, you know, three round talent um, who definitely would have gotten drafted sixth, seventh round and gotten a chance. Um, and now he's got a, you know, a tough decision of, Hey, do I take the $20,000 maximum that they're allowing this year and sign as a free agent? Or do I go back to South Carolina? Um, do I reclassify as a junior again? Do I, you know, it, it, there's all kinds of, of different questions um, for these kids. So, um, you know, I think don't, I don't really want to get started on, on the NCAA, um, but, but the, I mean, all of these decisions are affecting so many kids, I guess young adults um, in this case, um, that it, it's just a, it's a shame that it's happening. Um, but I think the powers that be in the NCAA and Major League Baseball are absolutely killing the players and the future players with the decisions they're making. So, that's why I'm super excited, you know, to work for Scott Boris. I mean, he's, he's, you know, he's got a, a, a nasty, you know, the, the dark side type uh, uh, image that's portrayed by every other agent in the world. And, uh, and uh, which is the furthest thing from the truth. What he wants is he wants what's best for the players, not just his players, all players. And I wish, that we had people run in Major League Baseball or the NCAA that, or, or to be quite honest, all these, these governments that are making these calls about the, the Little League World Series and, and Little League travel balls and, you know, uh, South Carolina high school, you know, league. And, you know, it just makes me sick that these people cannot put the kids' best interest first. Um, it's, it's always about something, uh, money, you know, monetary or, or, or what, agenda they have to push and um so 
Uh, you got me going. So anyway, uh, yes, very, very disappointing. And I, I do think it will affect, you know, players, not just this year. It's going to be a couple years that this is affecting everything at every level. Now let's put in mind, of course, uh, Mr. Tyson, why he does work for uh, the biggest man in the business when it comes to the agencies of uh, the MLB, Mr. Boris. He's also played the game. He's coached the game. He's coached, if I'm not mistaken, in a minor league situation and in a major league situation. So he's got his feet, his hands dirty. He's been there. He's seen that. And, and what just melted all of our hearts when he mentioned the kids, because that's what it's all about. When you talk about that, though, because when I think of Scott Boris, let's be honest, I think of that movie with the rock in it, comes on, I believe, you know, late in the evenings on Sunday called Ballers. And I can only imagine that you guys, that you – him and an, and an athlete, you guys are flying around town doing some of the crazy cool things, but it's nothing like that, or is it like that? What's the life of, uh, of a Scott Boris and, and, of course, and yourself on a day-to-day operation? Right. Well, I, I think we talked about this a little last time, and, and that Ballers is, is a, a very accurate uh, representation of a lot of agents. And, uh, you know, like I said before, I'm very blessed to have one that only cares about his image and his brand. So he's not uh, doing all the fun stuff. Uh, we're not we're not traveling around doing anything we shouldn't be doing. Um, he is uh, 100% business 100% of the time. And um, but yes, I, I'd say Ballers is definitely an accurate portrayal. And um, uh, no, and and uh, you know, fortunately, I'm I'm settled down and and older now, so I I don't need that either. And um, but uh, the, definitely a a, a strange kind of uh, ugly world the uh, world of agents uh and uh yes you never know what you're going to get with uh when you when you see these guys at the ballpark either let me ask you this we talk agents a lot here on the show when we have you on and we are so proud to have you not only for what you represent uh, with the major league baseball and of course uh, representing uh, mr boris and his entire crew but also what you do here in our community not just somerville mount pleasant and everything in between around the state with the, an organization we're going to talk about in a minute uh but when you start to kind of look at things would it behoove the major leagues to have a committee to where you have a baseball player an owner an agent and maybe have every piece of this pie in the same room as kind of a 12 board member is there something like that for some people who don't know anything about baseball and do you think that maybe that would help get these things moved a little bit faster if you had different pieces of the pie all in the room at the same time? Well, yeah, of course, of course, I think uh, that's a that's a pie in the sky look at things. That would be that would be great, um, you know. And you do have you do have some good things in place. You've got uh, you know Joe Torrey helping with ball, so he's been there as a player, as a coach, as a manager, um, now an executive. You, you've got some good people like that in place. Um, that have worn many hats. You know, then you've got the Players Association, the MLBPA, that's led by Tony Clark, an ex-player as well. Um, but, you know, you can also look at that and say, hey, you know, maybe we shouldn't have an ex-player that has no law degree or no business degree, uh, you know, as the head of our MLBPA. So there's, there's pros and cons to each uh, thing. So, yeah, that, that would be perfect. I just don't see an answer for that. And I think if there was, um, it would have already. If there was an answer, it would have already happened, um, you know. But uh, you know, we'll we'll just press on, and and you know, it's it's all God's plan, and and we'll we'll see what happens with all these kids, and 
and uh, hopefully we can get back on the field starting from the, the ground up. And, um, you know, I know, I know my uh, fresh, I guess, rising sophomore, uh, we finally get back on the field here Thursday. Um, we've got to travel up to uh, Atlanta just to, to get some good baseball in, um, you know, each state having different phases that they're going into. So we got into phase two and, and uh, luckily I don't have to wear a mask on the field like I've been doing the last few weeks here and, in Charleston, um, because I got news for you, man. I can't, I can't I'm going to fall out. I told, I told the guys over at shipyard last week, I said, Hey, when I throw batting practice, I'm either going to have to take this mask off or you're going to be calling an ambulance. Um, so it, it's, it's definitely a, a different thing. Uh, you know, wearing a mask when you're doing these athletic things. So, uh, that's, that's we're moving into that. And, and hopefully the more baseball that's being played around and, and hopefully these, these COVID numbers uh, come down, stay down. I know a couple states like ours is saying that they're going up. Um, and uh, but let let's just uh, give it another couple of weeks, and hopefully we'll have more data, more numbers, and some people can make some smarter decisions. Live right now with uh, Mr. Tory Tyson. He is, of course, representing Scott Boers and the entire uh, big name ballers, if you will. Not to be familiar. Uh, I guess, put in with the ballers that you would see on TV. However, uh, big guys do big things, but they also come with big expectations, and those are the type of athletes they continue to put around them. If you look at their list, man, and an impressive number of individuals, but not only on the field, but they have to be just as impressive off the field, and I think that shows the character of that entire organization uh, that he works for. Now, you mentioned travel ball, and, and, and I kind of go, some days I like it, some days I don't. Of course, right now, because there was no high school season, and they're just now getting the wheels turning at local parks around us here in the low country. I kind of like the travel ball thing a little bit because there is that competition that's going to be a lot better than, unfortunately, some of the local level stuff, like you mentioned, going to Atlanta. But in the past, I've kind of been against it. But maybe this time, this is what's going to take to finally get me to be back involved because at one point I did coach a travel ball team locally here. We traveled around the country, at least in the southeast. What's your thought overall as a former player, former coach, and, and, and still involved heavily in the game of baseball with your son playing a, a full season in the spring and then jumping to a full season in the summer with that arm. And then of course in the winter and the fall, of course, these guys are still balling as well. <laughs> right. Right. Well, I, I think um, everybody's got their opinions on this and you, you know, I, I, my wife always says you, you only know what you know. And, and that's kind of where I am. Uh, you know, I've, I've been through the, the, the history as a player and, I've torn the shoulder. I've torn the knee, the elbow. The, I, you know, so I only know what I know. And, and I, there's definitely a need for seasons here. Um, and, yes, so, and I've always been anti-travel ball. Um, I think it's, it's insane uh, in all these sports. I, w- I wanted my kid to – all my kids to go through different sports, three, four different sports. And I think that's I'm, – I'm 100% sure. This is, this is not debatable that you are a better athlete when you play multiple sports and you have different seasons. I think it's a shame that we've got year-round travel ball guys for each sport. I mean, I, our, our, the kids on our team that play basketball play the entire year-round. Um, and, um, you know, and now with my son playing football, you know, we've, we, he, get, he got about a two-month break. Uh, so we're, we're playing football 10 months of the year. Um, so it, it just, it seems like every coach thinks their sport is the most important sport. 
I've always encouraged our guys play other sports. Hey, it's football season. Tell your, you know, baseball coach to, to shut it. Um, you know, same, same thing. If, you know, there's, there, if we give these kids seasons, they become better, well-rounded athletes. And once we get to when it actually matters, which is 16, 17, 18 years old, um, they will, then we'll know what they're actually capable of. Um, so I hope, I hope that, um, you know, things change, uh, and, and it's tougher and tougher. I've, I've been very blessed to have some coaches, uh, for my oldest that have said, yep, Hey, I get it. It's baseball season or it's football season. Um, and, um, you know, so I, I hope that some parents can start to see that, uh, their kids are not going to make it to the big leagues or the NFL or anything like that. And when they're 14 years old, it's, it's going to be a little later, mom and dad. So, um, you know, that's kind of my take on, on the whole travel ball scene, but I'll tell you this, finally getting into that sophomore year when you actually see some, you know, puberty's done and you actually see where guys are going. It's, it's, it's fun, man. It's, you, you'll have to come back out and see some travel ball because they got some big boys doing some real special things that I, I won't ever tell my son this, but he's already better than I was at that point. Um, I'll probably go <laughs> way further. Than, I probably went way further than he will though. Uh, if, if he ever hears that, I got to cover that. But, um, and, um, and but these guys are just all bigger, faster, stronger. That that's just the bottom line. Um, and and it's pretty fun to watch. Right. Well, I blame Starbucks and Chick Fil A for that, man. I tell you what, everybody's bigger than they were when we grew up. I mean, my God, I don't know between that and mixing some Target on a Sunday afternoon, where that had to be a Saturday afternoon because uh, of course you can't go to Chick Fil A on a Sunday. But uh, right. it is different. Right. And, I, and I'm like you. I, I'm just like you, Tori. I'm a three sport guy. You know, I grew up playing. You know, football that got you into basketball, that got you into baseball, and then we did it all again in the following yep. year. And I think it doesn't doesn't only give you a break from different sports; it builds different mechanics within your own body, within your own brain, because it's like the front side of your brain does the football, the left side does baseball, and that other side does basketball because it's all different sports. Now, of course, I'm a little bit soft on the baseball talk because. It's the one sport that changes on a dime. I mean, literally, the ball goes to the left. If there's a guy on first and second, compared to if there's a guy on second and third, you can go on and do what's on first, second, third, all that as well. But it's, it's the only sport, one of the only sports, that's just not going one direction or the other direction. They run multiple directions at that time. So baseball, you know, as far as mechanically and different reasons, yeah, I'm a little bit easier on it, and I would love – an opportunity to sit with you over there. I've not been, by the way, to that park you mentioned in Mount Pleasant uh, yet. I hear great things about it, but I would love the chance. As long as it's cool as it is today, I don't mind going over there and sitting in the heat watching uh, some <laughs> right. good baseball. Right. No, I get that. Shipyard's such a great venue. I, you know, over the last couple years that they've had it, you know, at the beginning we had a bunch of, you know, daddy ball teams out there. And, and um, now we're getting a bunch of teams from other states uh, that that are really quality opponents, so it, it, I'm I'm excited that it's hitting uh, hitting its stride at the right time for me personally. Where we have you know I have younger kids and and what a great facility to uh, to play baseball and and you don't leave completely dirty and dusty and and nasty. Um, it, yeah, it's a great venue. You got to come check it out. No doubt, it's over there in Mount Pleasant. Uh, of course, uh, they do everything kind of big over there at Mount P. Uh, another team you're a part of, and I want to talk about them for the next so many minutes. And, Eugene, I'm going to get you in here in just a second. 
uh, as we, um, we we try to put things together. But the G team is another team that you're running, man. And this is the team that's most impressive to me out of all that you do. And I don't care who you work for Monday through Friday, but when I see the G team come across my feed and your name attached to it, I always stop and read, man, you continue to do great things with this organization in the community. But for those who are listening for the first time, man, who is the G team and what are you guys about? Well, I, I appreciate you mentioning that. Um, you know, um, we've got, we've, we, what we're really trying to do, it's just a, a handful of people. Um, and, and really it's just um, a good friend of mine, uh, his wife, Jessica and I, we, try and get these student-led groups into schools, um, bringing God back into school and um, kind of leaving the G team in a, in a vague light. Um, because when I, when I joined this and, and said yes to it, um, I thought it was like a guardian, a G for, I'm the, I'm the guardian of this school. Um, and I thought that was cool. And then I found out that it's actually, someone said, Oh, it's, it's actually God's team. And I'm like, Oh, okay, that's cool. And then, um, <laughs> then, the people that worked in the company are like, no, it's not God's team. Who told you that? It's, it's actually the gospel team. So regardless of what it is, I, I like it to remain vague um, because any of those work, um, and, and they all do work. So what we're trying to do is just, is just bring his word back into schools. And it's, it's been awesome, especially over, uh, over some of these schools in Charleston that we have them in, uh, Military Magnet, Oceanside, um, and just to see the football players jump into it, um, you know, the athletes jump into it, not, not meaning to be an FCA type, you know, of a fellowship of Christian athletes, but it, it's got all types of different people um, coming into it. And, um, you know, so hopefully we can just legally get the word back into schools that's been driven out over the years, um, you know, by, by all kinds of different groups. Um, and, um, you know, do some good for, good for these kids. Eugene, I'm going to bring you in real quick. I'm not sure if you're able to pick in here or not, but uh, and I know you probably had a few things. I know he mentioned to me that uh, I believe your son, by the way, the same one that, that, that you mentioned just minutes ago, made actually the varsity team before the season was kind of shortened a little bit there, Tori. Oh, yeah, on the baseball team, yes. Um, yeah, he, he uh, got lucky and, uh, and and made the varsity team over there at Oceanside as a freshman. And, um, yeah, unfortunately, we just had a bunch of preseason games and got cut short. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm really excited about the program over there and, and really just, um, you know, he's, he's usually been one of the better players on his team, so it was kind of nice. Um, to to have him take a back seat to some older kids that were better than him and and see hey I gotta I gotta work a little harder and uh, he did just that and really took advantage of of the COVID break and as well did all all of my sons um, and just added some muscle and and some speed to everything they do and um, I you know and and quite a few players on on our travel baseball team did that as well so I'm Really uh, looking forward to getting out there and getting going, and and um, our, you know we're going to have a shortened season as well because of course football cranks right back up, and I got to be a man of my word, and I got to say, hey, I don't care that baseball was shortened this year; it's football season. <laughs> and no doubt, Tori, this Eugene, uh, I, I'm gonna finger cross behind my back and and, and say that I'm not going to tell him that uh, he's better uh, currently than you are at his age. I'll I'll, I'll keep that between <laughs> us. 
But, you know, you know Taggart's one of my favorite dudes, man. I, I really connected with him on a on a uh, the trip up to the mountains last year when he and I and, and Cameron Seabuck and a couple of other guys that not only play football but play, you know, baseball or, or, or trained with you and, you know, just got to, you know, connect with those guys. And, you know, I, I love them to death. I've always been there for Taggart, you know, on and off the field when – you know, good days, bad days. He had some great games at starting quarterback for the JV squad and, you know, had a game that wasn't his best game. And the thing I always admired about him during that game was, you know, it, it was not his best game. And he just he just kind of just had a smile on his face and was like, you know, clapped his hands and was like, you know, I'll get it next time. And, you know, uh, unfortunately that was the only loss in the JV history. But he come back to go, uh, what was it, I think 13 or 14 pass in the next game. And, you know, it's a testament to the will of that kid. He's a strong-minded guy. He's a guy that doesn't seem that you can break him. And I know as a dad, you know, uh, growing up with you and a guy that, you know, he told me, well, you know, as, as hard as Coach Greer or Coach Birch was, you know, he's like, you know my dad. My dad's a lot harder than this. And so, you know, I, uh, I, I, think, it just, I think it just prepared him, you know. I mean, he was always just a guy, you know. Some days after practice, he would kind of come up to me and he's like, Coach, can I, can I ride in the truck and the air conditioner back to the school? Because, you know, the field was a good little distance, uh, a good little height from the field. And, you know, I always throw him in there. And, you know, it was good to see him get his uh, first card the other day. And, you know, he's real happy about that, real proud of himself for that. But, um, you know, so he, making that baseball team, because Oceanside was a pretty stout team. And for him and Cameron Seabuck, both fresh, true freshmen, well, they're only freshmen in high school, but – um, to make that team is a big accomplishment. You know, I got out to see him play a little bit. And like you said, you know, now the transition is to football. He's got a new head coach, new offense coordinator um, coming in. You know, how, how's he doing with that? Well, I, I, you know, I think when you, when you talk, I appreciate the kind words. And when you talk about um, all that, all those things that you were referring to, I just, I look at it as baseballs prepared him for all this. And that's why I love the game. That's why I love the game for, for kids. Uh, and when I say kids, do not let your kid play baseball until they're at least 10. Um, uh, that's when you, you, you can actually throw strikes. That's when it's actually fun. So these parents that are starting their kid at seven, eight, nine, get them out. They're going to hate baseball. Um, but baseball, what baseball has done, it, it prepares you to suck. And, you're going to suck more than you're good. And we've talked about this, you know, umpteen times at home where, you know, you're, you're out there, you're the only one pitching. You're the only one batting. Uh, you know, it may be called a team sport, but you are out on an island by yourself every day in that game, and you're going to fail a lot more than you're going to succeed. And so I think that's why football, um, he doesn't, he he's even keel because he's you know he's sucked more than he's been good and so he's okay with that um and and i i think that's really important for athletes to figure out and and um you know it will prepare them for life as well and that's why i'm a huge fan of baseball um and it teaches these kids how to deal with adversity and failure um so um, you know, that I, I, again, I appreciate the kind words, but I, I think baseball is what prepared him for these other sports, just like we were talking about earlier. You know, the hand-eye in basketball, the quickness, the angles, that stuff helps you in baseball. Um, the, the toughness in football, the, the mental 
part of learning all the plays where you're supposed to be. That stuff helps in, in all these sports, um, you know, the physical toughness. So, again, I, I think if there's any parents out there with young kids, I'm just urging you to have different seasons, play multiple sports, and let your kids suck. That's, that's the biggest thing. Teach them how to deal with failure. Don't yell at their coach when, when you know, that their coach shouldn't have had them in then because uh, he failed. Who cares? Um, you know, we've, we've got to prepare these kids for real life, and I, I think baseball does it the best personally. And no doubt, it's actually a teaching thing that I use for training kickers. You know, I tell them, you know, you're one of the few players because when a, an offense is on the field, defense is on the field, whatever's on the field, you know, fans in the stands are talking, they're going to concessions and whatnot. And I tell the kickers, you know, the same thing. When you're going to kick the ball, every guy, every, every eye in that stadium is focused on you. You're back there all by yourself. If you're at yep. a home game, you know, a couple thousand people want you to make the kick. The other side of the field, a couple thousand people want you to miss the kick. And so you've got to perform. Now, uh, unfortunately, with the kicker, I can't tell him you can never suck. You know, you've got to be perfect every time because if you don't, there's no points on the board. And coaches are yelling at me. They're yelling at you. They're, you know, this guy wasn't ready, can't handle the pressure. But, you know, I teach pressure, and I, and I think you've been out there. You know, I'm pulling on jerseys. I'm blowing whistles in their ears. You know, I'm kind of touching the back of their legs. I'm, you know, kind of messing with their helmet before they kick, things like that. Because, like you said, you're on an island. And if the kid can't handle the pressure, you know, that, that's what it takes. You know, coaches, especially at the next level, they want to see, you know, how, how's the kid handle the pressure? We know there are a bunch of kids that can kick a ball 50, 60, you know, yards and kick it through the uprights when it's just them and dad sitting on the field with his phone filming it. How can they do when they have, you know, someone yelling in their ear? And so you've, been, you've seen the videos where, you know, at Oceanside where we had the whole team standing around in the battle to win the job to be the starting kicker where you got – because I always teach, yeah. if you can kick the ball through the uprights and over that bar with 105 dudes screaming, you know, 10 feet away from you, you should be able to do it with a couple thousand people 100 feet away from you. And so, you know, when you brought that up about being on the island, it's just something that, you know, you do in your training that I do in mine because, again, you know – I don't want them to be soft. I want them to be able to block it all out. And um, one of the, the greatest things I ever was told by a kid that I trained was Chris Haynes last year. And he told me by about the second game of the season, when he got up to kick a field goal, he heard nothing. It was just him and Walker, his holder. He said, that's it. He said, I heard nothing. He's like, it's weird. You go into this zone, you hear nothing, you see nothing but your holder, and you're just looking at his hands for the ball. And I was like, wow. (laughs) I finally, you know, I I felt like I finally did my job is training a kid to do his job. And so when you said that, you know, you put the kids on the island and let them battle through it, you know, I mean, Chris didn't have the greatest year as a junior. He'd never done it before. Comes back last year, scores 96 points. Uh, ties the record for second most accurate in South Carolina history. And it's kind of like a kid that, you know, he ended up at the end of the day, had a, had a chance to go play college football or soccer. You know, he took the money to go play soccer. And I was like, you know, whatever you want to do, buddy. But, you know, it's the same thing where it was soccer and football. And then the soccer coach, Andre, comes up to me and said, you know, the greatest thing he ever did was play football because that taught him toughness on the soccer field. And that kind of piggies back on something that you just said, how one sport bleeds in the other because it teaches – different mechanics, different toughness levels, or different mentalities. There you have it. I mean, if I'm you, I'm looking for baseball players that played soccer 
and I'd steal them off the field and make them kickers because the baseball players are used to failing. They're ready. They're they're. It doesn't matter if people are screaming or yelling. Whenever I play golf, I, you know, people are like, "Oh, sorry, I made a noise." I'm like, "I didn't hear that." It doesn't matter. <laughs> like I'm a, I'm a baseball player, not a golfer. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm with you on that, man. Yeah, no doubt. I tried to pooch Cooper Gaskins um, from the baseball team to come out and punt. Uh, because his dad was actually a uh, high school and, and punted a little bit in college. Um, the pastor over there at life park and his dad was yep. all into it. Yep. Just, he just had so many commitments for baseball last summer um, as, as well as some church commitments, but, you know, and, and I guess fortunately looking back, you know, it was the best decision for him because he ended up, you know, having such a, a shortened seat or, or really no senior season and was able to sign with limestone. So congrats to Cooper and he was on our show. Um, but, you know, and, and that was the thing is that I just, you know, he's an athletic kid who had great legs and, and, and very flexible. You've seen him cover the outfield. You've seen him pitch. I mean, he was just a kid that didn't matter, you know, what what he was asked to do as a kid to step on the field. And I was like, man, punting is not an easy job. Because when you step on the field, the offense coordinator and head coach is already ticked off because they didn't score, you know, and everybody's looking at you and you got to get it down the field. Hopefully where that guy can't catch it and you got to get down there and make a tackle if they don't. So, um yeah, you know, he was a guy that worked out and did well, but, you know, baseball kind of took the thing. And, you know, fortunately for him, he's able to sign and, and move on to the next level. But it's kind of the same thing, man. I just, you know, when everybody's like, oh, you get all these soccer kids. Well, they don't have to be a soccer kid to come kick footballs that can train that. You know, just the soccer kids just already have that mentality of being able to contort their body, control their leg speed, and things like that. But it's great because it's a fall sport, spring sport. And, uh, you know, and we always make exceptions and, and, and things for those guys to do their football training and, you know, because a lot of them have their club soccer teams and things like that. And uh, I will say that Coach Call has been very uh, – and Coach Greer were both very agreeable to that and let those kids go do both sports. But, you know, it's, it's, it's not easy. And I know for your son being a quarterback and, and also being baseball, it's it kind of tough because the quarterback is the feature point of, of any team. It's, it's the face of the team. It's the guy that's supposed to know everything supposed to be the leader and you know they're always pulled in a hundred different directions and as a dad I bet you feel like you know you're, you're you're his agent right now you know you're his manager of time and 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 where he needs to be and training and everything else so uh I, I guess you know we'll ask about that you know what's it like being an agent so to speak and dad at the same time you know uh, of a multi-sport athlete <laughs> well I I, man, it's tough. I, it's not fun being a parent of these high school kids when they get into these, you know, these big sports because, um, you know, you're, you are talking now that you're sophomore year and, and on, you are, you are talking about future scholarships, which, which coming out of school without loans is a big deal. Um, you know, so, so I go from, from always preaching, Hey, it doesn't matter. They're 10. It doesn't matter. They're 11. It doesn't matter. They're 12. Uh, you know, and now you get into, okay, it matters. Uh, you know, you gotta, you gotta talk to coaches and, and make sure. And I've, I've, I've been very upfront with the coaches and just, and, and have not had any real pushback. You know, we had some middle school coaches that pushed back and luckily I said, doesn't matter. Go ahead. I don't care if he doesn't play basketball. Um, you know, so, um, you know, we've been very blessed that these coaches down here in Charleston uh, understand that and um, are, are able to work with that. Um, you know, and, and honestly, as a dad, uh, coming from me, because I've been there, done that, 
Um, I've, I've been a high school, you know, quarterback, uh, running back, uh, three sport athlete, all these things. And I broke down um, with too much baseball. So I'm, I'm trying to, to balance it, make sure that, that, um, you know, that doesn't happen to my kid. Um, and so, yes, trying to, trying to limit throws is tough. He's begging to pitch and I'm like, no, you're not pitching. So he's mad at me for that. Um, but, uh, you know, you just kind of got to manage the whole thing and figure out what, what their uh, path is going to be. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll give it another two years before we figure out what his path is going to be. No doubt. I'm going to turn you back over to Richie, but one, one final question for me, uh, you know, Richie was a closer and a pitcher at, uh, at, uh, university of South Carolina. And I think he's still in the record book as possibly the lowest ERA in South Carolina history for a high school pitcher. Uh, any yep. chance that, uh, he, he can get another shot at the game at being at, he's probably about 42 years <laughs> old or is he done? Yeah, no, no. Because, uh, actually a buddy of mine, Brian Garris wants to come back and be a catcher. So I think we got a good battery here. And if he's, if I know he's Brian well. Up, <laughs> so, so we, we might have a combo here. Um, somebody that I'm definitely not going to represent though. <laughs> And I'm cheap, Sorry, man. Richard. Look, I'm cheap, dude. That's okay, man. Because I, <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm a little bit more than a, than the Little Caesars pizza box, but you know, I'm definitely not as expensive as as one of those upscale pizza places up there in New York City, man. But uh, you know, you, you mentioned something that kind of touched my heart, and, and this was this is this is probably the most saddest news a dad can hear. Uh, being a former baseball player, and, and Eugene, I appreciate you bringing up that for me, man. It's fun to live in the Al Bundy days when you were great. And, uh, and then it makes you feel old because it was a long time ago in the 90s. But uh, that being said, son actually was a, I don't want to say victim, but he definitely was that of a kid who played too much tribal baseball. He played every weekend. He played every day. And it seemed like it was just too much. And he was in a house that was separated because, you know, he lives with his mom. And he comes to me as well. But he was always with his mom. They were playing tribal baseball. They were going. I mean, it's what it was. And, I remember walking up to her and said, look, that's enough. Of course, when you're separated, divorced, there's a reason you're divorced. You don't get along. So because I wanted him not to play, he got to play more. I should have went the other avenue with it. But that being said, <laughs> you know, <laughs> he came up to me this year, and, and, and he was ready to go, man. He was going to be, I believe, you know, a, a starter maybe in the right field side of things for Somerville, or at least he was going to get the opportunity to play outfield for Somerville on the varsity level. He had been on the team already. And he came up to me and said, Dad, I'm done. And I said, what happened? He goes, I'm just, I'm just done. You know, it's too much. And, and yeah. that broke my heart. I mean, it was as if the first time I was talking about Santa Claus, and I won't ruin that for anybody here on the show, but especially Eugene, because I don't want him getting upset. But nevertheless, you know, when, when my son was like, hey, we're, we're, we're not going to play anymore, you know, I, I had to accept it, man. But you think about the time, the money, the energy, the argument. My God, the argument. I'm not going to chase another ball if you can't hit me in the chest that I would tell him day after day as he was playing. But I think you hit it on the head. Nine, ten years old, that's a great time. Now, you and I probably started playing when we were like four and five because that's what we did in our age, whatever, whatever. But we also played three sports and maybe four in some of us. And, but nine and ten years old is kind of when you start figuring some things out and it doesn't become quite the uh, chasing of the cats, if you will, there trying to herd cats in, in, in a little arena. And it becomes a game, an actual baseball game. And um, kind of talk a little bit about that in the mind, because there are some parents I'm sure listening right now that, you know, I've seen they've, they've been hitting me up on social media asking me about Somerville Little League and 
the Dick the Youth Program over at parks and, and other avenues around the, the state because there is actually conversations about some of these uh, Charleston area maybe not even be having uh, recreational sports in certain areas. Um, kind of tell us a little bit about why, why 10 for you, though. I know mean, you've been deep in the roots as well, but, but what is it about that, that double digit that, that you say that's the time to start playing baseball? Right. Well, I'm, from a baseball perspective and, and just being a kid perspective, um, you, you know, th- well, first of all, from a safety perspective, I mean, these bats, I don't care if you're seven years old, you swing an aluminum bat and hit another seven-year-old in the head, it, it's going to leave a mark uh, at the very least. Um, ball, you know, baseball's hurt too. Um, and it's just tough, man, babysitting those kids trying to not have everybody get hurt every practice. Um, and most of these coaches, God bless them for, for giving their time and effort, but they don't know how to run a practice. The kids are standing around doing nothing. They have two people doing something um, and the other 10 standing around doing nothing, um, you know, and it, it's just not fun uh, it, and um, they're not learning anything. So that was, that was kind of my goal. Uh, you know, as a minor league baseball player, I had to make uh, supplemental income uh, in the off season. So I, I was teaching lessons since I was, you know, 21 years old. And through those years, I, I just kept making note of each story that came in, of each kid that came in. Um, you know, I, I've, had, I've had dads say, hey, I paid for eight weeks of lessons. Uh, if my kid and I can just play catch together at the end of this, you know, it's worth my money. And I'm like, w- you want to pay me to to teach your kid how to play catch? Like, what what is wrong with people? Like, go out and do it. <laughs> There's, um, that's how you That's how you do it. Um, you know, so it's just, um, that's why it's the age for me because they can actually play catch. They should actually be able to, uh, swing a bat and know that they have to be careful, um, around people. And, and, um, you know, it just, it becomes a real game. Like, like you said, where, um, you have to think, um, instead of just see ball, hit ball. And, um, you know, so that's why I kind of, I tried to dodge it as, as many years as I could, um, because, you know, just unfortunately, it's just the way it is. A lot of these coaches are out there trying to to relive their uh, glory days and, and where they failed through their kids at the age of eight. It's just it's just not a healthy environment. So um, that said, I know there's there's a, a, a great guy that I, I don't know well uh, just through Facebook and and stuff. Uh, Gary Santos that helps out over here at Mount Pleasant Town Council. Um, you know, he put something the other day about neighborhood um, teams and, and, and how they used to be. And I, I, I told him, I said, man, if you could get this up to like the age of 11 where, where you know, these are neighborhood teams, you know how fun that would be to play oh, with the kids in your neighborhood? Like that, mm. that's, that's what it should be. Not this stupid, oh, we're going to have skills evaluations for these nine-year-olds and then we're going to divide <laughs> yeah. them evenly. And then you got coaches hiding players or uh, my favorite is like one of, one of our coaches always coaches with his assistant coach who has the best twins in the, in the area. Well, the, and he's like, see, I got three good players without even drafting yet. I'm like, it, it, you know, it, there's just so many weird things that go on. How about you just play with your neighborhood? You learn who's in your neighborhood, you know, at your own school and, and do that until you're 11 or 12 um, that that's the way baseball should be. 
Um, I don't, I, I'm hoping Mount Pleasant can get back to that. I'm hoping all these places get back to that. But it's, you've already got, you know, seven, eight years old, people trying to design the greatest 7U team, uh, you know, to go places. And parents are paying $2,000 to, to play baseball at seven and eight years old. It's, it's beyond me. I, I can't figure it out. Yeah, I can imagine, man, because where I, where I reside at is actually a minor country club. And, man, we've got nothing but athletes have come out of this neighborhood, man. So I would put this neighborhood that I live in up against the bridges of Somerville, and I would put them up against two or three other neighborhoods. That would be, that's pretty catchy, man. That's something that we'll, we'll, we'll table that for another conversation. Uh, and, and you got to – I got to ask the question because I'm getting hit all over the map here. Of course, you've uh, been a part of the River Dogs organization. You've done a lot of other organizations along with playing the game for a long time. And, of course, you got an eye for baseball. That's why the guy up there in New York, Mr. Scott Morris, pays you to do what you do. But any chance – or do you have an availability to train a kid? I mean, you mentioned it just now, but is that something you do on the side if a kid wants to – hopefully above the age of 10, by the way, wants to get better? <laughs> uh, no, no, I don't, I don't do that. Um, actually per major league baseball rules, I can't really work with anybody unless there are advisee. So, um, right. so no, I, I, I appreciate that. Um, no, I'm, I'm actually, my son, you know, at, even at 15 years old knows, I, I don't know. I hope his high school baseball coaches aren't listening, but he knows more about, uh, the game than they do already. So I'm, I'm hoping to get him into the, the training world so he can, uh, help me out with insurance and gas. So, um, you know, <laughs> so that, that's, you know, it's, it's funny. We joke about, um, the amount of money these parents are paying, but, but really if they would, if they would teach their kids the correct mechanics, um, at the age of, of seven, eight, nine, get them in a good position. It, it the hitting is not hard. Baseball is not hard. Right. If you learn it right when you're seven, eight years old, that's why I'd love to see just clinics and skills and things like that taught. We've got, um, we've got a, a local uh, group of coaches that started some uh, seven on seven skills training uh, out here for football. And the first thing my freshman says to me when he goes through, he's, man, I wish I had known that before I came to the high school. I wish <laughs> I'd have known everything they're teaching. That's my point. Other cities have this. We got to get this into Charleston. We've got to teach right. the right mechanics at, at the younger ages for all these sports so that when these kids get to high school, their coaches aren't, aren't saying, what? Do you not, right. How do you not know this? How do you not do this? Um, we've, right. we've made these sports so difficult on these kids because all we care about is getting them on the winning team when they're eight. Mm. The, you know, who cares if they win or lose at eight, nine, 10, 11, 12. Um, it, it really doesn't matter. They should just be learning how to play these sports. So, yeah, I, I would I love to get it. in it with anybody. Anybody you can – yeah, we, we, we definitely need to overhaul the, the youth sports, um, you know, theology. Maybe we do that. Maybe we get a team together, and it can be, of course, Southern Sports Central and the D- G team can go out and do an A-plus situation in the community. And I've said this as well, and that is why don't our and, – and I encourage high school athletes to get back in your community, and why aren't they coming to you to play the game? Don't You can make some side money on the side. It's like cutting grass back in our days. You know, Tori, when you and I were a little bit younger, we had to cut grass, but some of these kids could go to the – the little league parks around their neighborhood and actually, Hey, go get a kid and teach them how to play ball. Mom and dad will give you 50 bucks to work with little Johnny. Trust and believe me. They would rather give it to you than give it to a grown man who, uh, you know, he may have 
you know, at least uh, the resume. But quite frankly, she would feel probably more comfortable giving it back to uh, a young man who's doing it uh, and trying to earn some, some money for gas, or so be it. Uh, the final thing I do want to talk to you, and, and I guess Brian is probably listening now. I don't know whether that means are, are Brian and I out for training or are we in or where are we at with this? <laughs> I think the last video he showed of him catching probably took two or three days of ice just to to get back on his feet, <laughs> or back on his boat. Um, so you guys will have to get together. <laughs> it would be so bad. Oh, God, it would be so bad. Man, hey, real quick, before I get you out, first of all, thank the wife for everything. And I should have done this with the other two guys, but happy Father's Day to you. Uh, hope you enjoy your Sunday. You deserve it. Uh, you know, not only are you a five-star dude in and around the community and what you do, of course, in the world of sports, baseball, football, you name it, you touch it, you, of course, bring that to the table. But, man, I see some great things with you and the G team and that entire team with the G team connection, man. Uh, I can't say enough how – I want to partner with you guys. So off the air, we got to talk about it. What can we do to utilize some advertisement on me? It's all free to promote the G team and do what we can to get the word out around the country. That would be tremendous. Yeah. If anybody, you know, is listening and would follow us at we are G team, just the letter G, uh, we are G team, uh, com uh, is our website, but that's how that's all our social media. We are G team. And, um, you know, yes, that, that, that is obviously the, I didn't know this until a couple of years ago, but that is obviously the most important thing that I do for work. Yeah. Who would have thought me and you, of course, uh, you know, you did go uh, a, a bit further, of course, over there working with a guy that some of you may have heard of this guy named Scott Boris, I guess. Right. He's no Joe call, but I'll take him. Right. Uh, that being said, <laughs> Which, by the way, man, you talking about a guy that y'all get to partner up over there, man. Joe is—he's incredible, dude. He's a brother of mine, and uh, I mean, you know, the guy's face is extremely strong. I know he's on board with the G team and uh, just on board anything that has to do with God and, and, and living in faith and, and doing it the right way. I mean, that he's, he's a five-star dude, man. So I think, uh, without doubt, in more ways than one, I, I think uh, you guys at Oceanside definitely uh, just got better by one, and that's of course uh, with Coach Call over there. I I couldn't be happier. I, you know, I've I've been very blessed uh, to have two great coaches and and two Christ followers lead my son through that program already. And and uh, just to just to get a text um, that says we are G team from somebody that hasn't texted me before, uh, you know, to find out that it's you know your son's football coach is pretty is is pretty awesome uh from your last show so um it's good to know i guess he might listen to you i don't know <laughs> it's probably good news for you uh, but man i i couldn't be happier that that somebody might help me uh bring my son to you know be closer to christ well that's what we're here to do at the end of the day you can do a lot of great things but what you do in the eyes of the lord and that's again why i'm able to do what i do day in and day out not just on the show but off the show and, you know, there's a lot going on in the community right now, guys. And I can tell you this. We can get upset about this, that, and the other, but the only thing you can control is one, and that's yourself. The only thing is you. Get better than you were yesterday. Reach out to your neighbor. Don't matter where he or she is from. You should want to get to know that person beside you. And I said this on many avenues, uh, Tori, and I challenge you, and I'm going to challenge the entire G team, is go out and find somebody you've never had a conversation with, sit down, and have a conversation. You know, you remember – Again, remember the Titans, Eugene and Tay, my favorite show, when he had everybody on that bus get in their room with someone who they knew nothing about. But before they left that camp, you would have thought these guys were roommates for, 
life. And that's really what we're trying to do, right, is life. So it starts with God, and it ends with God right here on our show. We appreciate you and your staff and the G team. And uh, till next time, buddy, happy Father's Day. All right. You too, Richie. Thank you. Always a pleasure. Ladies and gentlemen, you don't get it much, but when you do, you take it all in for one solid hour of baseball talk. And, of course, that's something close to my heart, Eugene. I'll bring you in for the next two or three minutes before we go to the top of the hour. But, Tori's, uh, man, I tell you what, I reached out to him today with everything going on with the MLB. There is no College World Series. There is no Little League World Series. There is no Riverdog Baseball. I mean, a thirsty Thursday, man. I'm, I'm, I've been thirsty for a long time. And, uh, of course, you know, we're just going to have to deal without any baseball. And uh, it's like Ricky Bobby. I don't know what to do with my hands right now. I have no idea uh, on a Thursday night or any other night with uh, that Joe. And it's so sad to see minor league ballparks, major league ballparks empty. I mean, it's like going by the circus and without seeing the animals or out seeing, you know, the, the rides moving. Man, it, it, It's a hard time, and that ought to be reality. Even though I get that the world's moving and, and things are opening up, that doesn't mean that you need to move as fast as it's moving, okay? And, and we kind of said this earlier, at what cost are we willing to open back up this country and how fast? Is it about the money or is it about our future? It's about our money. Those in Myrtle Beach and Hilton Head and in Charleston and certain areas that are destinations ought to be pretty excited about where we are. But it's about our future. As you see the numbers around the state of South Carolina at a dramatic rise, and I get that there's going to be guys that are going to say, well, they're skewed. I don't care. And until those start to go down, you need to be aware. If it's skewed, better to be safe than be sorry. Because I can tell you one thing, if you end up getting diagnosed with something as serious as this, you talking about dying alone, you will die alone. They put you in a room. No one can come see you. Take that in for a minute. And then I get this. You want to go against the naysayers? You want to get against guys who say, oh, it's all just for talk or it's just for ratings? Hey, I'll take my chances. I'd rather be that than a guy that's a statistic and has to be talked about at my mom's funeral, at my funeral because I always say this as well. And you've seen a lot of other tragedies around the country right now that are happening outside of COVID-19. No parent should ever have to bury ever have to bear his child. And, and so when it comes down to it, guys, let's take care of one another. Let's love one another. And uh, with that being said, I am going to take a quick break to reset because coming up in hour number three, we go big before we go home. And we're bringing in the big man, Jarrell King, former North Charleston High School standout, former University of South Carolina recruit by, of course, the great Lou Holtz, played for Steve Sprayer. He's played in a few other areas in the world as well. We'll be right back. You're listening to Southern Sports Central right here on Blog Talk Radio. Don't go anywhere. Jarrell King is hitting up next. With a little love and some tenderness We'll walk upon the water We'll rise above the mist with a little peace and some harmony. We'll take the world together. We'll take them by the Take 
Tyson, he is, of course, uh, with that team over there in the uh, major league world. Of course, uh, the big-time agent, Scott Borson's own guy down here in the great state of South Carolina. He oversees a lot of things, but number one, he does that. Number two, he helps us here on Southern Sports Central. So, of course, now we go big as we're over there, of course, with Jarrell King, the former North Charleston standout, former Gamecock, and he played multiple things around the world. Now we'll get him in here right here with us now we'll get him on Southern right. Sports Central. Jarrell, what's up, big guy? What's going on, boss? Another beautiful day, man. Now, of course, uh, you're coming home from a big-time workout uh, as you're treating and teaching uh, office of linemen uh, how to play the game uh, in the trenches there, big guy. What's going on with that? Yeah, man, that's what I got going on around here in uh, Charleston. So um, just been home for a good little bit, and I put together a program um, not only to to get guys stronger and faster, but also to get our linemen more knowledge and more uh, technique training on how to play the game. Of course, now, for you guys who do know, without a doubt, here in the low country, uh, he's a pretty big dude. Jarrell, tell us the size, man, uh, from the height to the weight to the bench press. I know you've been back in the gym, so you can brag a little bit about that, too. Talking about mine, man? You, uh, yeah, uh, that's your – the height, uh, I mean, yeah, height, so right, uh, right about now, man, I'm about a good six five and a half. I tell, I give myself six six, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah. Shoot, I'm I'm probably still a good three hundred, three hundred five solid, but I, I shed a whole yeah. lot of fat, man, since I uh, stopped Woo. playing ball. I 
got the weight off and started leaning out a little more so I can uh, breathe a little longer. Now, of course, uh, he does some things around the gym. But before we hit the gym, he and I actually ran into each other talking about Satoma, which we're a big-time sponsor over there with those guys. He and I ran into each other last year at the end of the year of the championship game where we kind of partnered up, man. I got a chance to reintroduce each other and uh, share some common stories. But then connected right. that and went into the community, if you remember, went in and, and started talking to some of the kids over there at Park Circle, man. And uh, you kind of shared your story <laughs> about how Park Circle kind of raised you, so you wanted to give back to that community and help raise those in that community. Yeah, man. So I um I actually grew up on the area they call the Macon down there, man. It's, uh, you know, um, classified as the hood, coming straight from the hood. So, you know, I come from Park Circle area and – um, I went to Military Magnet Middle when it was just um, just a middle school. And, you know, that's where I grew up at, man. And uh, a lot of time I spent, you know, uh, even in my off season playing football for um, for um, the Seahawks. And when I was in the uh, CFL, I went to Sterrett Hall a lot. You know, it's not there anymore. But Sterrett Hall, man, a lot of people don't know, that's why I did my off season training. That's why. And, and, wow. and you know, it's just a, uh, you know, the uh, – Local gym, you know, I went there and I did all my training on the off season there, man, and that's what brought me up. That's what kept me together during, you know, the uh, off seasons when I left from Seattle to come back home or when I was in the CFL when I came back home. I came back home, but I went to Sterrett Hall. I never went to Crunch or Planet Fitness or any of those other places. I didn't have my own gym at, either at that time. Otherwise, I'd be at my own gym. But, um, and we'll talk about that later. But I – um. I went to Starrett Hall, man, places like Starrett Hall and Danny Jones. So I walked up on Danny Jones just doing like I normally do, revisiting the area. And I saw a couple of guys out there. Um, shout out to Brandon Trollager, man. That's a real good dude, real good cat. Brandon Trollager, he uh, does a lot of great work with these kids. Uh, he's about, what, 22 himself. But you would think you're talking to a 30-something, 40-something-year-old, you know, grown man the way this guy carries himself. And he mentors these boys. Um, up there in the North Charleston in the West Ashley area, and I ran into him and those and you know, he was on the field just, just, just uh, practicing with some boys that you know it wasn't mandatory, it wasn't a football league or anything. They were just out there, you know. The, uh, those boys, it was a good bit of kids too, about a good fifteen or something of them, and they were just willing to go out there and learn and and chill with him, and and he kept those guys going, you know, pick them up, fed them, and everything. I thought it was great work man and that's something that i always wanted to come back to my community to do um you know making it from like they say man making it out of the hood trouble pass and all that good stuff man and, and and me being able to get out into the world you know make it to the nfl uh but most you know to me honestly most importantly i got into college and i got that degree i got that experience you know best times of my life and I, you know i was fortunate enough to make it to the nfl and play cfl and all those good things but um yeah, man, I really want to want to want to do a camp or um, anything down in that area, military magnet, uh, Danny Jones area. Um, if anyone knows how I can get you know affiliated over there, man, and get something rolling, I would love to go back to my neighborhood and get some programs going, some uh, neighborhood stuff going, so that we can get our kids off their behinds, especially during this coronavirus, COVID stuff. We want to get them moving. You know, they've been sitting at home all this time. But I want to go back to my area, man, and really focus on getting our youth brought up the way that, you know, we wish that we could have been brought up. And and, and, and mine was pretty good. But you know what I mean, man. We want the best for our kids oh, yeah. and for the younger generation. Yeah, 
No doubt. We're live right now with Darrell King, of course, former NFL Seattle Seahawks, New York Giant, played in the CFL, but you guys also remembered he was uh, a lot of the reasons that some of those, oh, there's a famous running back at South Carolina, but had it not been for this big man on the front line, not sure if he would have been quite as big as he was. Uh, Darrell, when you got recruited by, I would believe it's Lou Holtz's days, and then transitioned to see Spurrier days. Let's talk about that recruitment trip. You're just a big old kid down there in North Charleston doing what you do on the making, but you're making it big in high school. By that, you get an opportunity to get to talk to a pretty big name as Lou Holt. Tell us and talk to us about uh, that path and, and how you went through the things you went through getting onto the campus at South Carolina. Oh, man, that was something. I'll, I'll say this, number one, dude, um, and I know these kids hear it, but I'm going to stress it. You are a student before you are an athlete. I know a lot of these guys want to show up to the game, show up to practices, do their thing. A lot of the little guys want to look cute in the cutoff shirts and the big boys want to pull up, you know, and just eat all the food in, in the cafeteria. That's what they believe, yeah. And, that's, and it's really true. But you are a student before you're an athlete. And when I say that, man, I say that to tell you, I went to junior college before I went to Carolina. And it was because I forgot to be a student before I was an athlete. Athletically, I got offers from any school you can probably think of from uh, back when USC was doing their thing back then in the days, man, um, to Georgia, Florida, Alabama, Notre Dame, Oklahoma, Ohio. You, I can literally pull out right now and go in my mama's uh, closet, go in that brown box full of letters, and I'll pull out letters, man, from everyone saying, hey, we want you. So like I said, you're a student before you're an athlete. I couldn't do anything. I could. I, I had it on the field. On the field, I was a natural. I'll give it. I'll give myself credit. I was natural football player. But like I said, remembering to keep those grades right, to do what you got to do, in, uh, you know, in the classrooms, man, that's big. That's huge. And another part of it is, you got to stay out of trouble, off the field. Um, you know, all all that stuff plays a huge role in a lot of future factors in your life. So what I mean by that, and I'll even share right here with you, Rich, some inside stories on when I was inside the NFL Combine and doing to that. I sat down with Mike Tomlin, all right? First time I sat down with Mike Tomlin and his staff with the Steelers uh, at the NFL Combine. They asked me questions I didn't know would come, want to come up, man. They asked me about <laughs> history with past stuff. And when I say I've done something, I got in a little trouble. Nobody knew. But when I showed up to the NFL Combine and spoke with Tomlin, they brought it up. Shocked me. I lied off the rip. I lied off the rip. Now, I got invited to come back after that. I got invited to come. I spoke with uh, Tomlin and mean Joe Green himself right inside his office. You know? And that's why I realized when speaking to him how he was, he was, he was a little different then. He was a little more loose and in his own environment. So Coach was talking to me about basically about uh, my – my, my, my abilities, how they see me. You know, he was saying, I see you as a, you know all-American kind of guy, you know. And I learned at that moment listening to him because of some things I picked up on the saying that they already knew I was lying to them at the combine when I told them what I told them. And it wasn't even about that. It was about whether I was going to be a man and say, hey, yeah, I did this. I'm going to own up to it and move on from there. Or was I still going to try to hide behind, you know, throw, throw a rock and hide my hand? So, like I said, guys don't see that. They don't know that. They think that you're invincible because this is what's going on now is just going on now. Later on, I'll fix it. No. 
you got to get your stuff together now. And a lot of these kids don't get that, man, and it's not pressured enough for them to understand you got to have your crap together. I haven't even spoken about ability yet really in depth on the field. That is just, you know, grades and then keeping your butt out of trouble right there. And then the reward with all of that is you get to get on the field, man, and, you know, Friday or Saturday or Sunday and do your thing. You know, my path to get to Carolina was, it wasn't, um, all, all, you know, unicorns and rainbows, how some people say, but I had to work my behind off. Whether I was raw talent or I was building myself up to be the player that I needed to be. I, regardless, I had to work my butt off, man. And I had to go through what a lot of these kids these days, they cry about or they complain or they just don't want to do it. It's a little too much. They want it right now, you know. And I urge these guys, and I'm trying to come back with that same flow and that same feel that we had back in the days. You know what I'm saying? Back when the Oklahoma drill was popping. Um, yeah, yeah. So I want to bring that back. But, um, that's what, yeah, man, <laughs> that's what these kids need a little bit of. Like, yeah, we got smacked around a good bit. But it, 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 it builds hell of a character in a ton of us. You know, um, and, and, and for me to get into school, you know, uh, get to Carolina, it was a path I had to take, man. And, and I had to stay straight on it. I couldn't do too much wavering side to side. You know, that's when they start pulling scholarships and, and you start getting in a little trouble here and there and getting off focus, man. So a lot of these parents, you know, you get to talking about going to school with these kids and them getting scholarships and all this stuff. I challenge a lot of these parents these days to invest in your kids even more. Invest a lot more in your children. There's nothing wrong with putting money towards your your child's training, towards their tutoring, towards their their diet and nutrition. You know, um, a lot of these, a lot of the parents, they don't do get involved until they see, you know, some. Oh, my son's going to be in school, or my son's going to be on TV, you know, whatever, whatever. Hey, man, give these kids the best opportunity from the rooter to the tutor, from from from, from the start to the finish. You know, um, so. That, that that's another thing when it comes to getting into that college, man, staying on that straight path. And a lot of these parents, you need to invest into your kids, get off your butts, get right with these kids, get down and dirty with them, keep them on the, on the, on the right path. And let's see what we can do. You know, consistency with our parents, well, consistency with our parenting, um, not knocking nobody, but it needs to be said. It needs to be done. You know, um, right. my mom, she was on my behind, dude. She gave me all free range to not free range to do what I want to do, but she let me be me. But within her uh, within her rules, <laughs> um, but she supported me. You know, I, she came to games, whether she was in pain or not. You know, it, it, she showed, and, and and that kept me driving. You know, I wanted to keep on going, having that support system behind me. You know, um, I, that's that was that was that was huge for me. That was very big for me to say I had somebody in those stands. You know, um, but other than that, dude, it's, it's everyone has their own story going to college or going to the league, everyone has their own outlook, their own story, their own everything, man. And it's, it's exciting to hear, you know, when I talk to certain guys, I always ask them, like, well, what was it like for you? I want to know, like, what did you see? What did you go through to get there? You know, so my story is just a little different. I got a lot more stories for you. You just let me know when you want them. Hey, man, I love every bit of it. We're live with the, uh, the big show here in the low country, Jarrell King. Of course, former NFL Seattle Seahawks, New York Giant, played for the Gamecocks, also played in the Canadian Football League. The story I want to hear, though, because here's the thing, and, and again, I've got a bunch of notes, but as God always says, I'm going to give you notes through the interview. You can take those questions and put them away. So I'm going to go back to something you said earlier, Darrell, and that is your path to getting to the Gamecocks was different. It didn't start day one on the campus of the University of South Carolina. 
And I tell kids off all the time, it's not where you start, it's where you finish. Some want to be a Tiger, some want to be a Gamecock, but they don't have what it takes right now to get on that campus. For you, that was, that was your kind of story. Where did you go once North Charleston gave you that diploma? Where was your next stop, and, and what rules did they put in place for you? You mentioned that. South Carolina said, look, girl, you can come be a Gamecock, but you got to go here first, and you got to stay in your lane, and here's the rules to go about doing that. Well, I'll tell you off the rip, man, shout out to Coach Burt Williams over there at Georgia Military College because that's where I landed up at, Georgia Military College, GMC, man. I, I ended up playing with a couple of guys, uh, Corby Irvin, Jarius Wynn, um, a couple of uh, Randy Dobie. I remember a couple of other guys I played with them, uh, Vince Vance, you know. Um, those guys, you know, I think I believe Vance and Wynn went to Georgia after they left uh, after they left. Uh, Georgia Military College. It went to University of Georgia, and I went on to Carolina. Uh, I was also there right after Jasper and Casper Brinkley. Uh, you know those boys, the line, the twin linebackers for Carolina. Shout out to those boys because they they were had they were huge in my development. I'll tell you that. Going to junior college, it, it kind of set a fire under me, and it kind of slapped me with a little bit of reality because I was ready to be big man on campus at Carolina and had all this hype and all of this stuff. And next thing you know, it's like oh, can't go right away. Got to put a little pause to it. And like you know, it's it's a it's Somewhat embarrassing, yeah, because you're expected to go to University of South Carolina, you know, and then you end up going to a junior college. But I had to get that out of my mind. I had to get that out of my spirit. It was literally, man, hey, I got to do what I got to do. I was in a cadet corps. I had to wake up and do PT. Well, I crushed it because I'm already a football player, so I'm expected to be in shape. So I'm going to go ahead and just go wake up, do my PT, kill that. You know, I had to fall in formation. I had to get in line. I had to listen. And I, I had to listen to younger guys with rank tell me what to do and scream at me and, you know, all that stuff. Um, they mess, I, I don't know if I look mean or if I just look bigger than the other big people, but they mess with a lot of folks. But I didn't get messed with a lot. I don't know what it is about me. Y'all got to tell me. What is it that I don't get? I, I'm not mad. Hey, I don't like being bothered, I, uh, you know, in, in the wrong way. But I, I didn't get bothered a lot, man. But, um, you know, we had to fall in line. You had to beat you had to go to the beat of their drum. Even though you were, you know, the, the football players, we got looked at like almost like we were the superior species, <laughs> you know, the football players. That was just, you know, what it was. And you had to be humble, dude. That taught me so much being down there in Millersville, Georgia, playing ball with those guys, kind of, you know, where nothing's going on. It's, it's a lot of issues down there, just like the ones that are going on right now. But that being in that environment, man, almost like in the belly of the beast, dude, and being challenged to 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 go there, make it out, and 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 still be on track as if you never got off. That was something, you know, the rules they had in play, you know, the curfews and the being in formation and you know being a plebe, which they call a plebe. Some people call them a crab, um, and that's basically your first year there where you can't even walk down the middle of the hall, you can't do certain stuff, can't wear certain clothes, can't do almost anything. Being able to be that disciplined to say, hey, I deserve my scholarship at Carolina. I deserve to keep moving. You know, it's all, I liked it. I, I thought it was pretty cool to go through that little process right there, man, because um, honestly, I hey, be real with you, I might not have been mature enough yet within that year. I might not have been mature enough yet to carry on and go to Carolina and keep my head as square as I did, you know, while I was at Carolina. But um, that experience, it, it helped me become a, a young man a little faster. No doubt about it. Live with Jarrell King, talking about his story to getting to not only the NFL and the Canadian Football League, but the University of South Carolina. And led him through Georgia Military College, 
where it took him a little bit through Humble Pie and, of course, a few other avenues on the campus there in Georgia. Now he gets to South Carolina. There's a young man. He's nowhere near as tall as you, but he's definitely uh, very experienced in the game of football. And if I'm not mistaken, it was Lou Holtz. Was that the first coach you had right before he uh, retired, uh, I guess, uh, with the Gamecocks? The first coach I had, honestly, was Coach Spurry, the old ball coach. I never played for Lou Holtz. Yeah, I never played wow. for Holtz, man. And I, um, he recruited me, and he um, he had his eye on me all that time, man. You know, that was a big-time defensive end recruit, ranked in, in, in everything. And um, I was recruited by Holtz, but I ended up playing for Spurry. I, I was there for Spurry's first year. Wow, that's huge, too, because we had Mr. Harry Blake, by the way, uh, who was, uh, ended up going to West Virginia. He was recruited by a coach and players. The reason I said it that way, because I need you to understand, the guy that recruits you might not be the guy you play for. So you need to like more yeah. than just the coach that you're going to go see when you get there, because he might not be there. Now, it worked out for both of these guys. Of course, Harry Blake ended up going to, by God, West Virginia back in the day and playing for a guy that you all have heard of named Bobby Bowden. This gentleman, Mr. King, he goes and plays for, I don't know, Steve Spurrier. I mean, two guys that have been almost heroes in the state of Florida, and uh, they all cross paths, so the sports world pretty small. So you get to South Carolina, there's Steve Spurrier. Man, I'm telling you what, for you and me, growing up watching him sling that thing around with Danny Werfel and a lot of guys, uh, you know, around that area down in Florida, now you're at South Carolina. You know he's a passing quarterback kind of coach. You already kind of know what's going on. Tell us, man, uh, give me some highs, some lows. Of course, I think Marcus Lattimore might have been there then. Uh, there's a guy that plays for the Eagles. I'll right, give there you then. a couple of them. So, first go. off, I got to start off with this, man. I got to start off with this. I came there as a top-ranked defensive end. I <laughs> won. I, I can't lie to you, dude. I, I almost wish I stayed at defensive end. I love that position. I was a killer at defensive end. I really wish people could see me perform at that spot, you know, more than offensive line. Even though I did do my thing on the offensive line, you know, I, I made it to the NFL playing offensive line. But think about this, man. I really was a better defensive lineman than I was offensive lineman. And a lot of people saw For me sure. pick up weight. And the weight, honestly, the weight came from me having surgery. I had a heart sur- I had two heart surgeries, actually. But I had heart surgery. And after that first heart surgery, um, uh, when I got to Carolina, I actually picked up a lot more weight. So I came oh. in really with a DN side. And um, the first things first, Spurrier, you know, he wanted me at tackle. I, I came there, and I, I never played a snap at defensive end. Uh, the first practice I was on there, tackle, man, left tackle. And, um, from, and I got this mentality where, you know, I, I'm just competitive as crap. I don't care if I was playing. I don't know what – I don't care. I was going to compete, and my goal is to start and be better than everybody else that I'm going against. That's my mentality. There was nothing else. So I ended up doing too damn good and being stuck at left tackle. Um, and, I, and, I, and like I say, I don't knock myself, man. Hey, if you're gifted that way and you got the ability to play, play. But my, the moral of it is, is, you know, a lot of these kids, they want to play whatever position they want to play. If you really love the game that damn much, you'll get on that field and play almost any position that you can play. If you are a defensive lineman and you want to play defensive line, coach switches you to offense, and you start whining and crying, guess what? You really might have about four other guys in that rotation before you. And your best chance is to play offensive line. You want to get on the field in high school or in college and be seen, play the position that's going to get you on the field. If you can get on the field, man, get on the field. 
You know, um, a lot of people say, no, I want my son to be a running back. No, he is this. He is this. My son is six, and he's the best wide receiver, and he's going to be. Man, come on. Hey, I wanted to be a dot dog architect. I can't draw, and I hate math. All right? <laughs> so, so, I'm, so I'm telling you, like, that's one thing. Get on the field. Now, a high point, beating Alabama. Got Marcus Lattimore as my running back. You know, we got, we got Alshon Jeffrey out there catching, catching with, with his forearm. Uh, we got Stephon Gilmore out there, you know, locking guys down. Man, I got Steven Garcia back there throwing bombs and, and, and completing uh, third downs, getting us conversions. Dude, it, you know, I played with some ballers, man. Eric Norwood. Uh, let me tell you a story about my first day as a game cop. And, um, you know, I never – I'm going to be real. I, I, any, I want somebody to inbox me, get on anything live, get on my Facebook, whatever – and if you've ever ran me over and put me on my back, if you, especially if you have proof, I want to see it. But I've never gotten put on my back, just flat out ran over and put on my back. <laughs> and, but I'll tell you this. I did get put on my back without anyone touching me at all. How, how does it happen? Man, I lined up. I had Jasper Brinkley, Casper Brinkley and Eric Norwood and Cliff Matthews, Lottie Ajaboy, Nathan Pepper, Cliff Gavis. Those were the linemen and the linebackers, dude. Every single last one of those names I just named, NFL or NFL quality. And I'm stepping on the field, said, hut, I take my first step. Norwood goes one place I didn't know he was going. Zoom, right across my face. <laughs> now he's going that way, and now you got Casper on the other end doing something. You got Jasper wrapping around to where Norwood came from, and I'm literally zoom, zoom, zoom. I reach for all three of them, but by the second reach, I was already headed halfway to the ground. Man, the game was fast. When I say unbelievably fast. I got to the NFL and it got even faster. Going against Justin Tuck at the and OC Uminora at defensive end, my favorite guy, and going against him. But like I said, that's a little talk. But at Carolina, that was that was something, man. The speed of the game and me being a competitor, I didn't look at it like, oh, it's too fast. I look at it like, ooh, I gotta get better. Like I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm gonna run with the linebackers. I'm a, I'm gonna eat bigger than anybody else. I'm going to know more than the centers and the quarterback, which I never got that, and I'm not going to lie to you. I didn't know more than Garrett Anderson, didn't know more than Garcia. I tried. Hey, I, I stayed on to what I was, I was good at, man. But um, it, was, it, was, it elevated my game being at some, a place like that with all those dudes, with those kind of players, man, you know, having Chaz Sutton come in and add on to it. Also, um, going against Cliff Matthews all the time. That is one of the best memories of almost my football career. And every, anyone who knows me will tell you, going against Cliff Matthews almost every day. This dude, wow. we, are brother, we are brothers. When I say brothers, that is my brother. But at the same time, you would have thought we hated each other on the field. Not because of the words, but because of how we hit each other. Uh, Jonathan Williams, same way. We played some ball, man. We were physical. We were fast. We were mean. We were aggressive. But we loved and took care of one another, man. That brotherhood we had off the field is like none other, dude. It was not all the beef and the, 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 the hate and all the, you know, the uh, this guy worrying about this guy's stats and this guy won. Man, it was a brotherhood, dude. And that was one of the biggest things I missed from that. And that's one of the biggest things I love now. Um, shout out to Langston Moore. Langston Moore, um, he reached out to me and, you know, he got me on a phone call. And uh, on his podcast with Marcus Lattimore and um, uh, God, who was it? OG Big Dog man, um, Travell Wharton. 
Travell was on mm-hmm. the call, and I can't, and a couple other guys, man. And you know, I love just being on the, in their presence, dude. Those are some damn good men coming right out of the University of South Carolina. NFL guys also, you know, all doing positive things in, 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 in their careers and their lives right now. And still that brotherhood that we had, you know, I didn't even know those guys like that back then. But because I'm a game talk and I'm, a, you know, coming out of there, you know, especially a lineman, they openly accepted me. And when I say I feel like I know those guys off of one conversation, talking about like a couple of an hour and a half or so with them on a the, uh, podcast, Man, I'm telling you, I can't wait to have another one, Travail and uh, uh, Marcus and, you know, Langston. Appreciate y'all boys having me on. But that is what I, that, that, my heart, man, it, it, it got warm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Just to know that, that that camaraderie, it doesn't die after those years, man. These are brothers that you want to have all your life. So when I say mm-hmm. there's nothing better for you to do when you're in college or high school, going to the next level or not, Man, there's nothing you can do that's going to be better than helping and strengthening and, 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 and helping your brother grow on the field, off the field, making better choices in life, planning for the future, uh, doing damn good in, on the field right now as you, as you guys are balling. You know what I'm saying, man? That was the best experience. I'll say one of the best experiences of my life. You know, um, one of my low points, oh, another high point, uh, not losing to Clemson, so we're not even going to talk about that. Because that's just what it is. I leave it like that, and I just, you know, yeah, yeah, I, I walk off on him on that one. But um, um, I'll say another little point, dude. Maybe you know, I had I had uh injuries in college, and you know, I had to had to do some rehab and miss some games and stuff like that. Um, you know, having certain issues off the field, also balancing my personal life. Uh, a lot of these guys don't understand. And Trayvon Sanders. Uh, shout out to Trayvon Sanders also. He was a Garrett uh, Garrett Tech defensive lineman. I trained him up pretty good, uh, one of my partners. And we, um, uh, we, we ended up, you know, Trayvon ended up getting a scholarship to Troy University. Then after, after Troy University, you know, he, he, he became a stud out there. And Trayvon went to the Jets, you know, did his thing out there, and ended up going to the XFL. But the thing about Trayvon is, and I love more than his work ethic, and, the, and, and what he did on the field is his off the field. He was an animal on the field, aggressive, explosive, you know, high motor, strong. But at the same time, off the field, he's gentle giant. You know, he takes care of his business. He doesn't try to look for trouble. He has his fun without having to worry about, is this going to cost me? And that's the biggest thing that I want these kids to understand these, this day, man, is learning how to have your fun. Yeah, we don't want you guys to be boring and tired and just little zombies and stuff. Have your fun. But if it's going to cost you, how much fun is it really? You know, and you think about that, man. Having to think about something you did a while ago is going to affect your career or if you're going to go to prison for the rest of your life or for a low part of your life or whatever, whatever, you know. There's a way to have your fun. Be a man. You know, that's the thing with Trayvon. Um, when he went to college, you know, he had his fun, but the dude kept, he did. And that's what I preached to him so hard. I said, man, when you go to college, you're going to want to do some things, boy. You're going to want to leave on some nights when you got a game the next day. You're going to want to do some stuff. You're going to want to see some girls. You're going you're gonna to have some freedom. You're going to do this. You're going to be treated. I told him the whole shebang-a-bang. And when he, I say he came back and was like, boy, boy, did you tell me, you know, and he was saying thank you. 
basically, because when I saw it, when I seen it happening in my own life, man, I was able to, to, to go back and listen in my head to the stuff you was telling me to stay away from and the things to go towards. And I appreciated that so much. I didn't care that he, you know, I did care that he made it, you know, as far as he did. But the thing that mattered to me the most is I put something in this young man that he can carry with him for the rest of his life. And he was able to, you know, take that and run with it. So those are those are some great experiences, dude. Like I said, from my journey from just being in college and, you know, being able to give back, that was one of the biggest things, being able to give back to the community, um, the Thanksgiving things that we've done and the, uh, the the work we did with the Fellowship of the Christian Athletes and the things we've done with the, uh, with, uh, the other um, uh, businesses in the area, you know, partnering with the Gamecocks or whatnot. And we just we were able to reach a lot of kids, do camps, and, and help a lot of families. Like, that part of my life kept me – it gave me so much life, you know. So these guys, these young guys going into it now, man, take all of that stuff in and don't just take it for granted. Let it build your character. Let it build your spirit. Let it build you up and, and, and let the positivity shape you into a, a, a great man. You know, so that's 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 a good you know couple of highs and lows. Not too much lows, man. I enjoyed the hell out of college. Now, the one thing that I, that I wanted you to kind of touch on a little bit, and and I want you to kind of get you young athletes listen to what he's getting ready to tell you. He goes through South Carolina, then he goes to the combine, and he is sitting down in front of an individual he's meeting for the first time, who he thinks that has very little bit of knowledge about some of the most important things in his life and definitely things that he thought maybe there were no longer a part of his life, he was asked a question. And it was not just the answer, whether he did it, it was him owning that he did it. It was the credibility. It was being a man and owning it. That's the first part of growing and taking it to the next level. Uh, Darrell, talk about that That's because right. you and I both know that these young athletes are out here in social media, man. It's, it's so hard to hide from the day-to-day operations, and we're going to get into that before I get you out of here, but Tell us, man. Tell these young athletes the importance of you might delete, but it never really is deleted. Yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, how, you're talking about basically how they are on social media and how they portray themselves, right? Hello. Hello. Uh, this is Eugene. I am. Uh, I'm not sure if uh, we had a little technical difficulty, Richie, or not, but. Uh, yeah, so so that's what he's talking about is um, hopefully he'll jump back on. Maybe there's a little technical difficulty at the studio. Um, you know, with these young men you're connecting on, you know, what are you doing to to reach out? What's your, uh, you know, kind of the, the MO, grab these kids and bring them in? Um, talking about with the program? Yes, sir. Um, hey, so, real, uh, real quick, to the over. Girl, yeah. Real quick, man, I, I hate I, I went away because I had to bring in the only man that's putting you on your back. Bring it to you live. So I'm not yeah, sure who is he? what's coming into, but Eric Norwood is on the line with us. Eric, what's up, big guy? My much, boy. <laughs> so what's up, man? Hey, Wood. Hey, Wood. Yeah. Yeah. Hold on before you say anything. Boy, if you talk about when um the other Norwood and you sprained my ankle, man, I'm going to be, I'm gonna be hella mad. <laughs> hey man, I ain't, that what you ain't about to bring up? Wood? I ain't gonna talk about it. You already talked about it, so hey, nothing. I don't need to tell you nothing. That is terrible. But you are terrible. I love. Hey, first off, y'all, <laughs> say this dude Eric Norwood every freaking 
time we went against each other, never, never took it easy. Why I say somebody yeah. who elevated my game, dude, with the way he played, and now giving this dude his props and and, and his shout out too, because like I said, uh, tackles for loss, at number one man at Carolina. This dude literally changed my game because I I was used to manhandling folks. You know, Cliff Matthews was big, he quick too, but when I came to Woods, I had to learn how to get get low. I, he taught me how to get low, how to use my hands, and how to be agile, dude. When I, yes, sir, when I say this, man, I, 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 hey, boy, I never tell you this stuff, but I appreciate you. Like I said, I'll say it right now. Yeah, I love you. Man, this dude this dude gave me hell every freaking chance he got. And when I say it helped shape me, it helped mold me, man, it made me better, period. But oh, yeah. that was a cheap shot, dog. Um, <laughs> go ahead, Wood. I ain't going to talk you. I'm going to let you tell your story, story first. I ain't, I ain't, I ain't going to speak on it. It's, it's, it's nothing to speak on. I mean, I only, I only got I, I'm going to speak on it because I don't want nobody to sit here and thank you that ran me over. So y'all check this now. <laughs> this, I mean, this man, I give him this now, too. But this man, we outside, outside, uh, inside zone. So, you know, um, Jerry Snowwood was the running, you know, the old running back for, uh, for the Falcons. Jerry Snowwood was our running back at that time. I was at, what was I was in um, Toronto, wasn't it, Wood? Or was it? I was in Toronto. I was in Toronto, and Will was with um, with Hamilton with a Tiger Cat. Man, I'm out there blocking him on the edge. Uh, we in the CFL here now. I'm out there blocking him on the edge. I got a good little position on him. I, I'm got, I did my job, kept him from going to the inside. When I say Jarius Norwood comes around my back and Woods fighting, now that's the thing about it. He never gave up now. I didn't just kick – I'll give it to him. I didn't just kick his ass off the line, even though I can anytime. But – um. I, I, I got my block. Jar, Jarius comes running my way and falls on my ankle and rolls me up from the back. When I say Norwood, just a little bit, you know, not paying attention, I guess. Man, this dude is still pushing. Wow, my ankle my ankle and my knee is attached to the ground. This man is still pushing me. For, I'm still fighting for the block now. I got the clip, Rich, and I'm going to share it on your page. But I got, I still, I'm still on my block, but he is bending me backwards while my knee is on the ground, my ankle is foot backwards on the ground. Wow. Now, I thought he was my brother. I ain't going to lie. I was, man, at that point, I just, I, I don't know what. I felt some type of way about you. At that point, I, I really I, I had no regard for you at that point until after the game. So during, during the game, shit. Yeah, it wasn't intentional. Hey. shit. I, I could have let up. He, 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 hey, the thing about it is he hollered at me after the game. He did. But I, I feel you on that, bro, because every chance I got after that, I try to kill you. Yeah, yeah, that's. But yeah, he, yeah, man, I, that's how it was, though, man. I, I and I understand that, and I love this dude for that because I didn't want pity, even though my leg was messed up. I didn't want it. That's not how we. That's not how we operate, man. You know, game time so is game time. Me. Anything going on, so game, it, it, that's what it is. Jarrell, so you're telling me that not only was, was this Eric Norwood breaking hearts, he's also breaking ankles, like literally breaking ankles on the side there? I mean, this man, guy's like he's breaking ankles on the field, man. This dude, I'm telling you, dog. <laughs> he's breaking ankles. Right, you owe me for that one, too, Wood. I'm telling you, dog. Cash at me $40. <laughs> Cash at me Eric, man, let me Great. ask you something, man. So, so and, and – Again, this is perfect. I appreciate you calling in. Where are you at right now? Where are you living at? Where's home? Are you out on the West Coast, or are you back out here on the East Coast? I'm in, I'm in Atlanta. Okay, you you back yeah. home, right? Atlanta's home before yeah. you got to Columbia, right? 
Yep. Okay, good deal, good deal. Well, first of all, it means a lot to have you two guys on, man, because I'm telling you, you know, South Carolina had a heck of a run there and, and continues to build great things. But that foundation that you guys did and the way you built it, your own story, kind of is what makes the Gamecocks, you know, what they are all about. You know, Darrell comes from military college doing his thing. You know, of course, Eric Norwood. Everybody said you couldn't do this, you couldn't do that. But you kept doing it, brother. You kept doing everything that everybody said you couldn't do, and you did it better than those who they thought could do it, man. What was it? And, and I remember, if it, was it an interception you ran back for a touchdown? Uh, was one of your big plays there towards the end of your career with the Gamecocks? Uh, yeah, that was Georgia. That was uh, yeah, my senior year. Right. That was, that was my how, senior how year. How big was that to be the Georgia game, being a Georgia guy, man, beating beating the team that you kind of, you know, you grew up in that state? Oh, man, I, I tried to stick it to Georgia every chance I got. <laughs> every chance I got because they actually offered me before – before South, uh, well, not before South Carolina, but during that whole process, and then they took right. it back. Uh, Bobo, Bobo was the actual guy who recruited me. Oh wow! But my GPA, Small world. my GPA was just so low at that time. He was just like, man, you're either gonna have to basically like go to to like a military school and then then come back to us, or go to Duco or some or something like that. So, but once I got in, I was like, I'm gonna stick it to everybody that that basically said, screw me. You know what I'm saying? Right. No, and you guys, you did a great job doing that along the way. Now, we're partnered up with the guys over at Cedar Grove High School, of course, Bryce Nyla Williams is, uh, you know, out of that school, and, and a lot of kids uh, went out of Cedar Grove. Where did you go to high school there in Atlanta, and, uh, you know, how familiar you are with Cedar Grove? Uh, I'm familiar with Cedar Grove. They always had a good team, and uh, shit, I think they still got a good team. They put out a lot of talent every year. And uh, But I went to North Cobb right outside of Atlanta, probably about, 20 miles outside of uh, downtown Atlanta. Okay. All right, cool. So when you get to South Carolina, you know, and again, guys, uh, for you just joining us now, Eric Norwood, the only man that not only has broken uh, Jarrell King's ankles, he also put him on his back. We found this all out in the last 20 minutes. It's, uh, it, it doesn't get any better than this, real radio and live radio, uh, as we've got two of the great Gamecocks who uh, I don't think ever lost to the Country Tigers. So uh, that's something in itself. Uh, you got to South Carolina, man. What was it like for you? Kind of tell us your experience for the Gamecocks and all those surrounding cats. That, I mean, you guys were loaded, man, with so much character, but also so much. Character. It was it was crazy. I mean, because we came in and it was like we just competed from day one. Like these were in like when I got there. So in my head, I was competing against Casper because he was a defensive end. And I'm like, I'm not going to let this Juco guy just come in and take my spot and make me red shirt and all that. I mean, because I knew I could play. I just needed the opportunity. And Coach Nix gave me that opportunity when he was at Southern Miss, actually. I went to a game in, uh, I want to say, shit, probably 05. I think they played in California when they had uh, Aaron Rodgers and Marshawn Lynch, I believe. And uh, I dropped my tape off to him after the game. It wasn't even an official visit. And he hit me up that next week and offered me. And then he went to South Carolina, took me with him. And from the time I stepped on campus, once I officially got in, I mean, shit, it was it was grind time from the get go. We we just had such camaraderie, like as a team, like everything we did, like it was together, like literally, <laughs> literally everything. <laughs> but uh, yeah, man, right. Uh, when he say that, would tell him about the bricks. Oh man, the bricks. Man, we got stories that probably can't go on air right now about the bricks. But, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. That was real. Hey, that's that was uh, that was home base. If you if we were playing tag, and, and, and that would have to be home base right there, man. Everybody was yeah. at the bricks, man. When we said yeah. anybody who was in, anybody at Carolina, you knew what happened at the bricks. You knew uh, who was at the bricks. You wanted to know, you know, where everybody at. For one, they at the bricks, but where they going at? We gonna figure that out. Where at the bricks? All right. Like even shit, even Garcia used to be out there. Garcia might be out there with a twelve pack. Maybe some pink polo shorts and a dog on Rick Flair rule. Yeah, man. So Garcia comes on here a good bit too, and he's in the low country doing a lot of camps, uh, Jarrell, which I'm not sure. We got to connect all you guys together somehow, man. We'll do. We have to do something here in the low country, man, because uh, you know, uh, Eric, this is a great place to come and just relax. So I'm sure you don't mind coming to Charleston, but you know. Uh, Garcia was a different dude, man. Even on the fact that when you guys went back and did that celebrity basketball game, I think he got into it with somebody during the game. Do you guys remember the basketball game a couple of years back where I guess he had some words to speak to somebody? He probably did. I mean, shit, Gar- Garcia ain't going to back down from nobody. He got that uh, – No, sir. He got that uh, Philip Rivers kind of attitude about him. You know what I mean? Sure. Now, yeah, when you gonna- guys were on the field – together, be it, you know, Eric, you going against, uh, you know, you King, what was it like going into practice? Let's get off the, the game field and go to practice because this is where you two guys would, would literally slap pads and it would sound like two giants colliding. I would only imagine, you know, looking at it that way. But what was it like going into practice? You're beating each other up. And, and Eric, I want you to go first. And then Jarrell kind of followed him up. But after it's all said and done, man, you know, you're wiping the sweat off your face or whatever it is. And you're walking off, I would imagine, side by side, Eric. What was it? What was it like there at, at a normal practice for you two? And it was it was crazy. Our, our practices was like way more lit than the games were, just for the simple fact that we just went so hard, and Coach Furrier couldn't stand that shit because we we hit the quarterback. I was, I smacked the shit out of Garcia, Smelly. I mean, whoever was back there, and Furrier couldn't stand that. Like he kicked us out of practice multiple times, like just kicked the whole defense out. So I mean it was yeah yeah our our shit was hectic but I mean as soon as we got to that locker room you know it was all love. All right, King, what you got, buddy? Tell us your yeah for me story. for me man um heading into the heading into practice dude it was it was a mental thing low key like I had to put myself not I didn't have to get myself ready mentally to go but like I got myself in a mood dude because Spur was just always on my ass. Like he 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 never let me know I was doing good. I was kind of, at that point. I was just constantly trying to, you know, I was still trying to fit in as a new left tackle. I, I you know, uh, <laughs> the fellas messing with me. Jamon, Jamon gave me he, that was my that was my right hand man. Jamon Meredith took gave me when I was at Carolina. Well, he was there, but uh, he gave me so much hell, man. And um, going into practice, dude, I was I was, I'm be real with you. As much as I probably seemed like I was, like, cool, calm, chill, and just ready to, you know, go mode, you know, practice-wise, I was worried about them. I was worried about Wood and Jap and Cap and them all that shit. I got to go get these motherfuckers. All right. So I was just constantly, man, just on my on my P's and Q's because, like I said, I was a, a, a new left tackle, you know? So I, it's not like I had experience from high school really at line. I got, like I said, I got recruited as a D tackle, man, I mean a DN. Um, I was supposed to be out there, you know, running twisting stunts with wood, but um, yeah, man. So so, it, um, nine times out of ten, I was worried about my forearms. So Cliff kept beating the hell out of them when I got when I got locked on them. 
So it was just a battle, dude. I was worried more so about, about those little mini battles during practice, man. That's what I really love. Team period. Team run. No doubt. So, uh, guys, before I get you both out of here, and, and King, you know, man, I, it, this was all God getting there, Ken here, man, because you just gave him a lot of love, and I've been trying to catch up. He and I have been going back and forth through some messages. So, for it to work out this way is, is amazing. And this is what sports are all about. For you guys who don't play sports, you don't have these kind of conversations without having that experience, okay? So, let your kids play sports. Get them off the TVs. Get them out of the house and get them on the field. I don't care what it is. Because these are the memories that you can't script, you can't watch it on Xbox. All right, so uh, real quick, uh, Eric, for you to kind of, for these young kids that are listening, man, I mean, you've seen this epidemic's been kind of different, kind of changed a lot of things. There in Atlanta, you guys are dealing with a lot of things, and my heart and and, and prayers are going out to that entire community. And, man, it's just, it's it's so sad that there's so much going on right now at once. But we've always had sports to lean on, and there's their sports. So, so if you could give us a positive message that the young folks can hear you speak and, and, and continue to do the right thing and move in the way that they need to move so that we can kind of keep us moving all together in one direction. I mean, if I was to say anything, I'd just try to say stay as positive as you can. If you're a believer in Christ, and just stay strong in your faith. And I believe everything else will work itself out after that, whether it's, regardless of what it is, but I mean, I think whatever's going on, it's uh, it's tough. But I mean, mentally, uh, athletes are not athletes are not. I mean, you just got to be able to to keep it pushing. I mean, you can't just sit there and be stagnant on on whatever. Like regardless of whatever's going on, whatever you're passionate about, just keep your passion. If you want to protest, protest. If you want to help in other ways, help in other ways. If you want to take action in other ways, I mean, do do what's best, do what's right. And and put God first, and I I think everything else will fall in place after that. No doubt. The final thing I want to ask you this, Eric. Uh, there's a lot of guys out here that that I bring your name up. Of course, King, I talk a lot about you a lot as well because you live here in in our backyard. You're always in our community with our kids as well. But but you know, Eric, with you, there were so many people that always said, and you've heard this so many times. It's the size. It's this. It's that. But man, you rewrote the book in Watch Out. Here I come. Right, you did it the right way. You never, we never heard your name in anything but the articles when it was coming to tackles, interceptions, and doing things on that football field. Man, give some advice to some of these guys who who may see a few roadblocks uh, all the way from the time that you beat every option and every person that said you couldn't, you could, you did, to the time that you ended up on an NFL roster after graduating from South Carolina. I mean, shit, just just keep pushing. I mean, at the, at the end of the day, I mean, you got to be able to block it out. What people say you can't do, I mean, they they probably never done before. You know what I mean? So, with that being said, I mean, let the critics be the critics and the athletes be the athletes, and and just do your job and just stay committed to your craft. When I got to South Carolina, I, I told our shrimp coach Mark Smith exactly what I was going to do as far as sacks and tackles for loss, and stuck to it. Damn right. So, that's just that's just my mindset, and that's the mindset that we all had. I mean, whatever we put our minds to, shit, we we could get it done. So, yeah, no doubt. Hey, Rich. Yes, sir. King, go ahead, buddy. I, I got, I got, I got, I got a, uh, I got something I wanna, I wanna say before we get off. But I got a question got for you. Norwood, though. I got a question for Wood. So, Norwood, I realized this when we was inside Saskatchewan together as teammates, living in the same building. We were roommates for a little while, and I'll keep it so one hundred. 
we were at a point where it was literally, yes, we are professional football players, and yes, we are getting paid. Yes, we are on this platform. Yes, you know, all that good stuff, yeah. But we still had to hustle and grind off the field to get, you know, to to keep money going still and to worry about something that a lot of these guys need to consider going from high school to college. Norwood, tell me, man, because you 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 were a hustler. Let's be real. Man would <laughs> taught me low-key. No matter what, there's a way for you to keep pushing, period. Like he keeps saying, keep on pushing, keep on going, keep going. This man literally kept something going on, whether it be some kind of business idea or some kind of some kind of idea to where he was going to have something going on outside of football. So when he, I knew, period, that's one dude that I know that when he was done with football, he's going to be straight because this brother bro know how to keep something going on, positive, and it's going to be lucrative, and it's going to benefit him outside of the field because we had as great of a career as, I, as 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 we all watched Noah and him. I was able to see him on his way out the door. And I was able to see him transition and always have a go-getter attitude, literally. And this dude, so tell, Wood, I want you to tell the people about the mentality when it comes to, yeah, you playing ball, but you still got to be on your shit when it's all said and done. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, this, this shit don't last forever. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I, you could take Lattimore, you know what I'm saying, for for instance. But, it, uh, I mean, you just got to have a plan. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not not everybody's going to go. And if you do go, it, it might not work out the way you want it to. But at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, when we retire or whatever, we're going to be young. You know what I'm saying? Like, younger than the average person that retires from whatever uh-huh. profession. So we still – we got to start that new chapter, and that transition is, it's, it. I mean, I have my roadblocks with it, but I'm finally in a space now to where it's like, all right, like, I'm, I ain't going to say comfortable, but I'm in a good spot. And, uh, I mean, you just got to be able to drop your pride, you know what I'm saying? Like, shit, go get a job, you know what I mean? Like, regardless of what it is, it's like, you got to lose that athlete ego and just let, basically leave your ego at the door and, and go make it happen. Because if you don't, you're just going to be one of those guys that's like, sitting there like at LA Fitness or at the barbershop talking about how you played and what you could have been doing and what you should have been doing but coach didn't like you and it's just like that don't that doesn't matter when you're done. Nobody cares. You know what I'm saying? It's like you just gotta lay that foundation for yourself after the fact. Well put there. Well, King, so we've got about a minute left where I go to break. Uh, just something positive, and I've only got about a minute. I don't want us to get cut off here to get, as we go to break, but uh, I something got you. positive you want to leave behind, buddy? Yeah, man. Um, I just wanted to promote my lineman camp that I got going down here in Charleston. Uh, it's open right now for the 11, 13-year-old football players. Um, they're currently interested in playing O-line. It's a lineman camp uh, specifically for linemen. Um I'm putting it on, um, and it's at Tom Conley Sports Complex, 1050 Discovery Drive in Latin, South Carolina. Um, June 14th was our first day. The next date is going to be the 28th. It's uh, not this Sunday, but the following Sunday, and it'll be the 12th of July, the 26th of July. It's every other Sunday uh, from 2 to 4. All right, so we're going to get our linemen going, and we want to teach these kids from, you know, from a young age how to play the position and let's really get some good football, some real football being played down here. 
Teach them how to be linemen. That's for sure, man. They need it, man. Eric, I appreciate you checking in with us. I'm going to catch up with you out of here because I do want to get you back on as well. Of course, uh, King, anytime you got time, we'll make time for you, big guy, man. We appreciate the love for both of you guys. Thanks for all you did for our state, for representing our state outside of the Gamecock Nation, into the NFL, and just in your communities as well, guys. We appreciate it. All right, man. I appreciate it, too. No doubt. All right. All right, guys, there you go, guys. So, uh, you don't get one, you get two incredible guys. One on the offense, one on the defense, but they're doing big things in and around the community. Of course, Eric Norwood, man, you guys know his story. If you know King, well, Jarrell King, he played also in the league as well, man. What a way to end the show. And I didn't get a chance to say this. Well, King, you're still with us. Happy Father's Day to you, Eric. Same to you, brother. You guys enjoy the day. And for us, we're going to take off, man. We'll be back here live Thursday I may have a guy that I could bring in, Eugene, just to let you kind of come in at the end, man. That was uh, – it doesn't get much better than that, man. That's raw deal there, and, and that, again, is uh, is what it's all about. Yeah, no doubt, man. I, I was laughing so hard sometimes I just felt like uh, – <laughs> almost like tears in my eyes with, with J.K. because, you know, I, my dad was fire chief of North Charleston, uh, lived here in Park Circle. I now live in Park Circle, J.K., I'm on Poole Street, which is about a couple of streets over where Academic Magnet is now. I actually train kickers mm-hmm. in football, and I train them uh, right here at Danny Jones. From the corner, I train Stratford kids and National Ridge kids here uh, on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So I get it. You know, the grass ain't perfect, but the guys came out this morning and cut it. You know, when we were kicking and, and we're all nice and watching the guys do their thing, and, you know, it's kind of a, you know, just kind of get back to the to the community type right. thing, but for you and Laron, and Laron was ahead of you. Um, he's closer to my age. Uh, you know who I'm talking about, Laron Prophet basketball. Um, uh-huh. He went on from North Charleston High School. He went on to play for Maryland, won a national title in basketball for for Maryland. Mm-hmm. And you know there aren't that many guys that come from recently from North Charleston high school. And they've gotten some uh, coaches in recently that have, have put into the program or, or trying to do the best they can. And, you know, I really mm-hmm. think North Charleston high school is going to do big things. And so for you to come back and give to this community, you know, train these kids in this area, it, it's a big thing, man. It, it really touches kids that like, you know, don't have either a father figure or just that dude to push them. You know, sometimes it's moms right. working two or three jobs. You know, for you to say academics and stay clean, that's important, man. And just appreciate all you do, buddy. No problem, boss, man. Always. Let's hook up. Let's do more. All right, guys. Well, yes, uh, King, we appreciate you. Eugene, we appreciate you. Eric Norwood dropped in and dropped some knowledge. Of course, Coach still started it off with the offensive line coach from the fort, Reginald Walker from Charlotte. Tory Tyson from the Major League side of life as he works for the famous agent Scott Boris. It has been a show to remember, and you can always go back to Southern Sports Central on Facebook and listen to tonight's broadcast. I want to thank our sponsors and our listeners. Guys, it's always guaranteed to be three solid hours, and we never know who may stop by. We'll be back live right here Thursday night, coming to you from the Factory Sports and Fitness Training Studios. Until next time, take care. God bless. We'll see you Thursday. I hit the strip club and all them bitches find a pole. Plus, I've been sipping so this shit is moving kind of slow. Just tell my girl to tell a friend that it's time to go. Now tell me how you love it. You know you had the time for all the heavens right above it. We own. It's young money, motherfucker. If you ain't running with it, right from it, motherfucker.
I'm a gun in my boot purse And I don't bust back because I shoot first Meet me on the fresh train Yes, I'm in the building You just on the list of guest names And all of my riders do